those are not the water cooler Bible store. (laughs) 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 Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. episode of Sincast is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the globe. Each day, Mubi introduces a new gem and you have one month to watch it. From cult classics to acclaimed masterpieces, every film is hand-selected by experts. Try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash cinemasins. That's mubi.com slash cinemasins for your extended free trial. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Howdy! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Cher. Hello, everyone! And uh, today we're going to do a little something different. Yeah. We're going to take a road trip. On the road again. The most time-honored tradition of all, the road trip. Oh, the places you'll go. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Yeah. We're going to start alphabetically, yeah. and we're going to do Alabama and Alaska. Uh-huh. Alabama and Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you I know all of them? What no, he said. No, I only know like the first five. Oh, okay. And then I'll, I'll always transition <laughs> I into Deer Ears Hang. I thought for sure you were going to go through all 50 there. <laughs> nope. I thought for sure you're like, I know this song by heart. I can go through it. Give me one um, second. Let me pull. I, I want to give credit to the person who kind of suggested this. No, it wasn't Charles Bone. Every, everybody listening to this is going to be wondering why we keep talking idea, about This was our idea, and it has always been our idea. Yes. If you send us a suggestion, we own it. That's right, Kyle Campa. No, but yeah. Uh, thanks to Kyle for uh, for suggesting this. We think this is a pretty good idea. We're going to at least try it. Yeah, we're going to go through all the states yeah. and figure out. Kind of, we're going to go through the movies that it takes place in, and then we're going to kind of get an overall feel for how each state is portrayed because it's very, very different. Especially these first two, you can't get more different: Alabama and Alaska. Mm-hmm. By the way, when you first sent this, I was I only half read it, and I thought you were suggesting a literal road trip where <laughs> we would we would the three of us go to all 50 states mm. that'd be awesome to do content about the movies and i was like this guy doesn't know me at all <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I travel drives me crazy it makes me super anxious and then i went back and read it later and i was like oh podcast no that makes sense <laughs> that's um, a good idea yeah uh so alabama has a pretty decent mix of stuff but what the prevalent one is is generally dealing with racism mm-hmm. and things like that so you have, uh, I mean, I would call, I'd say Selma, and mm-hmm. I'd say To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, there's a there's a lot more that maybe we haven't seen. Yeah, uh, Sins of the Father, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, typically it's it's associated, and really all the southern states are associated a lot with deep seated racism, deep seated you know rednecks and mm-hmm. things like that. Well, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, there like, is. It's not like that reputation is unearned. Yeah, no. It's just but that it, it was earned by our forefathers and generations behind us, mm-hmm. and not necessarily us. It's absolutely true. However, uh, I do feel like when um, when a, a studio wants to make a film in the South, that's their backdrop almost mm-hmm. every time. Sure. Although this this you know 
there are a lot of here, a lot in the here that don't have to deal with racism, like fried green tomatoes and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. So you have some of those deep southern fried romantic comedies, <laughs> and um, so and then then there's one uh, that I think a lot of people love. My cousin Vinny is yeah. also uh, in Alabama. My cousin Vinny starts off with that you know stereotypical redneck story, but mm-hmm. it definitely adds. I love that movie. It definitely adds some nuance to it, especially with the. Fred Gwynn well, character, yeah. the judge character, the, uh, the the prosecutor. Yeah, the the Fred Gwynn character seems like he's just going to be some backwoods judge mm-hmm. who doesn't know what's up, but he's he's always on to him. Now, one thing that the movie sort of like suspends an air is his character like never seems to look deeper into this lawyer that obviously shouldn't be practicing right. law. Like <laughs> until the very until the very end, <laughs> like he's he's pretty sure this guy shouldn't be practicing law here, but he can't figure that out throughout the entire course of the trial. Um, but still, he's smarter than and more and fairer than you think that yeah. he is that he's going to be and everything, and um, so sometimes they take those those stereotypes and everything and turn them into something that's fun or or you know meaningful or whatever yeah you can make an argument that they stereotype new yorkers just as much as they i was i almost said that oh yeah that my cousin Vinny almost has as much or more to say about new york Mm. stereotypes as it does alabama Mm. right that's true he's he's comfortable sleeping in a prison just a (laughs) juxtaposition of the two right yeah playing off of each other it makes both look more extreme. Yeah. Two utes. But, the, but even, I mean, it does take, turn it on its head, though. I mean, the Marissa Tomei character, you could probably sit there and go, well, she's just the, the nagging girlfriend and mm-hmm. all that. And she turns out to be, like, super important to the movie. Right. Although that's another thing that I doubt <laughs> highly would ever happen in an actual trial. But, um, but Pause attraction. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's a bullshit question. <laughs> this car doesn't have, the 65 never had blah, blah, blah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, so, yeah, that one's a good one. Um what else on here? Oh, uh, Forrest Gump obviously is is probably the most popular one. Yeah, I don't. There's, I guess, there's uh, a lot of it is in Alabama, although most of it is away. Right. I think. I oh know. no, yeah, most of it is. Oh is no, it's him. not half and half. Well, every time he's visiting his mom, all the kid stuff, the college stuff, that's all Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Every time they go back to that house, they're all, always in Alabama. Greenpoint, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> George Wallace is in Forrest Gump and Selma. Oh, oh yeah! Wow, <laughs> wow played that's... by Tim Roth in in uh, Selma. I still don't know what to think of that. By the way, that is weird. There's there were there were a lot of British people playing Americans mm-hmm. in there. Now that you know, like when Get Out came out, Samuel Jackson was a little upset that Daniel Kaluuya was playing an American character. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the same kind of thing here, um, and, and I disagree with Samuel L. Jackson, by the way. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you need to be American to tell that story, and I don't think you need to be American to tell this story necessarily, but it's, it was a little jarring in Selma to see Tim Roth and like Tom Wilkinson playing Lyndon Johnson and yeah. you know a lot of stuff like that. But um, did, you, did you like Selma? I, I mean, did. I, you have to. Well, I, I mean, you don't have to like. Selma, no, no, no. Actually. You don't. The the you, it could have been ham handed yeah. and terrible and like beat you over the head with a bunch of stuff and everything. But I thought it. I thought it told the story it's pretty powerful well. as shit, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um. Yeah. That that walk. Both of the walks over the bridge. Because I've been over that bridge. Oh yeah. And I've. I was actually born in Alabama. I was born in Birmingham oh, yeah? and uh, been through there many times. Birmingham's a shithole. It's actually getting nice now. 
well, I went 15 years ago and <laughs> found it to be a shithole. Mm. So it's forever a shithole. <laughs> yes. Well, and I, I used to go to Alabama every year as a kid because my have have relatives down there. Mm. So I'm familiar with small town Alabama and everything like that. Um, uh, but I don't think to that kind of degree mm-hmm. i mean it's you know i didn't have any kind of experience down there with people just being like just openly racist or of course it was the 80s but yeah but it's still around well the reason that that things like selma you know this story has been told a lot obviously mm-hmm. uh but the reason that it's important is that like obviously the lessons don't aren't necessarily sticking mm-hmm. and somebody like me who grew up in the south uh that's been you know to these areas i just didn't get the the human element context that this movie kind of brought to mm-hmm. me so yeah even even somebody that's right next to it uh can get something uh, very powerful from something like that yeah um but yeah forrest gump has a little bit of the the civil rights movement in it mm-hmm. this is the george wallace trying to bar the two black uh, students from going into the university of alabama and stuff like that is in there mm-hmm. but uh not not really too much it doesn't focus too much on it um she tasted like cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> um smoky and the bandit is that is that is part of the leg of the trip that yeah they, he starts in texas and goes to atlanta right yeah i think that's what it is yeah. so it's not like an alabama movie but it it does go through it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love me some smoky and the bandit man you guys are just rattling off movies i never cared about <laughs> <laughs> my cousin Vinny, Smokey and the Bandit. I'm just like my I, cousin Vinny. I saw it once. I didn't. I didn't really. Oh, I don't think it's bad. Oh my god, I just did. I didn't connect to it. Just hurts mm. me. It hurts. I'm sorry. It hurts so I'm not, much. I'm not going to trash it. It hurts. Just and then and 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 like uh, and Smokey and the Bandit's not a great movie or anything, but it's just stupid fun. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a small section of Borat where he goes through. And, mm-hmm. and where there's a bunch of racists. Yes. Yes, there is. <laughs> it's amazing in Borat how he just gets people to talk by relating to them yeah. all the way through that. And he's like, you know, like, you know, like we're trying to do something about Jews out in my country or whatever. And that guy's like, yeah, we're trying to do the same thing here. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, good God, oh man. God. Are you serious? That's, that's the car dealership guy, right? Yeah, I think so. Or like, like the rodeo. There's a rodeo. Or there was something. one. Yeah, there's one there. But the car dealership one where he's like, okay, uh, how... How fast do I have to go to be hitting a Jew? And he's like, well, how hard do you want to hit him? Hard! Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Even, even like, referring back to that makes me feel uncomfortable. But, yeah, I, know. I mean, it just... It, that's what the brilliance of Borat is. I mean, there is a lot of silly, stupid stuff in Borat, but man, does it really like underneath the subtext of that movie? Oh yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it's it just sort of exposes the like you know human race. Um, There's another Sasha Baron Cohen movie in uh, Alabama. Is there? Oh, Talladega Nights. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's his movie, but he's definitely in it. <laughs> yeah. Or Ricky Bobby. Is yes. this? Uh, Okay, so of all of the Adam McKay, Will Ferrell movies, where do you think this ranks? Uh, I, I don't know which ones count as Adam McKay, Will Ferrell movies. Anchorman. But I have always liked... Step Brothers. Yeah. I, I think I've always liked this more than most people. Yeah. And I think most people are affectionate about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is well before Will Ferrell got hit or miss for me. Um, I just think he's he's firing on all cylinders in this movie. You know, you know uh, Talladega Nights... 
uh, I I have grown to appreciate that movie much like a lot of these Adam McKay movies. When I first watch them, I don't. It seems like I never like yeah, them right crazy. at the beginning, and yeah. then and then later on, it's like, yeah, that was funnier than I thought it was. In Talladega Nights, I kept having a problem. Here's the problem: when you're a Southern person and you watch a Talladega Nights, and you feel like you're not these characters, mm-hmm. you feel like everybody thinks you're that character. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's the that's the thing when they have a when they represent characters like this who are just like super like shake and bike and all yeah. that you're like it, everybody thinks that um, I remember when I moved to New York first off I don't feel like I have a southern accent like when I listen to myself I'm like I don't really hear it like I can hear it in other people and everything when I went to New York it might as well have been I might as well have been in deliverance because these those guys were like man you have a really different accent I'm like yeah yes and uh and so like I remember one person asking did I grow up on a farm oh, yeah. and all that yeah. and like I was like well, everybody who has a southern accent grew up on yeah, farm. No, I was like, definitely. well, no, uh, <laughs> I was close to a few, but I didn't grow up on one. Uh, there's like, there's actual cities and stuff. <laughs> and, Buildings with yeah, indoor plumbing. Right. Well, and this is, we've all talked about this before, just uh, about Nashville. And it's, it's, you see it on like a Titans broadcast on a national network mm-hmm. when they come back from commercial. They're always showing you the honky tonks on mm-hmm. Broadway mm-hmm. and the boot store and yeah. the uh, Ernest Tubb records, and they're not ever showing you. So you, your your perspective is warped into thinking this is what Nashville is, mm-hmm. and I guess from a tourist perspective, there's a certain amount of that. But um, it's frustrating to be a resident of Nashville and know how much we have to offer that has nothing to do with country music yeah. <laughs> and and not ever see it represented. You know, it's frustrating. Yeah. The, the, the movies do the same thing. And I, to a certain extent, they're just, they're just playing to the crowd. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, fulfilling expectations. Yeah. We expect people in Alabama to be a little redneck now and then. So mm-hmm. let's uh, dial it up for the movie. It'd be nice every once in a while. I know it's easy for them to hit Broadway, especially from the stadium and everything like that. And I don't know if that's what factors into their decision or whatever, but uh, I would like them just once to go to Exit End yeah. or the End or mm-hmm. you know a lot of places on you know a West End and all these all these places uh, that would just sort of show a different slice of life than yeah. the fucking Elvis that's outside you know <laughs> and it's it it's, would be nice just once you know maybe it's just ease of access I don't know I don't know I um, mean there's there's plenty of places in downtown that are out peripheral to that that are interesting too yeah, you know, yeah, all these yeah. restaurants shops go up to Pinewood like Social and yeah. film some bowling or something mm-hmm. I mean we're a metropolitan city now bitches mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> I didn't we wear a soccer boots. team just like I- just like Powers Booth said in the opening episode of Nashville we are a we are an international blah 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 I don't know what he he's said some <laughs> city that was i was like i guess so i guess we're kind of that i mean it's like he made this whole thing like we're like some international like new york city type of, we're not there yet yeah. by but, the way speaking of nashville um my buddy josh child his older brother jeremy was on that show for a while mm-hmm. and it was just announced a couple days ago i don't know if you saw it that he's been cast in season three of preacher oh really in a recurring role oh, cool um and what's extra cool about that is that jeremy used to talk ceaselessly to me about the preacher comics really 20 years ago hmm. huh he he was obsessed he loved it so i when they announced this show 
I imagine he was probably pretty geeked. They're finally making a show out of my favorite comic that nobody ever read except for me. Now he's cast in the show. That's nice. awesome. Anyway, I <laughs> think that's awesome. That's pretty sweet. Um, we also had uh, Walt Card, but I think that's also another one where it's just kind of like runs through there at one point, right? <laughs> yeah. W- w- is there a scene that you're thinking of? No, no. I, well, the the scene that I was thinking <laughs> when they go back to uh, his plot of land when they're older, uh, John C. Riley is you know got the old makeup on. He's throwing catch with his kids and mm-hmm. everything. And uh, uh, Jenna Fisher comes back and she's like, "Hey, Dewey." And he's like, oh, hey, you know, I've, I've lost track of you all these years. You know, who are you married to? Oh, no, I'm not married. And she's like, it's me, your wife at 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I think because yeah, he's got the relationship with Kristen Wiig where he has all these kids. He's got like six or seven or ten or whatever kids. Mm, with her. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I think they're primary residents. Isn't there well. a scene? There's a scene, I think, where there's like you have one kid running around, one's in a crib, <laughs> one's being held in her hands, and she's pregnant with yeah. another. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then when he storms out, he's like, I don't need you. I don't need you. And he points at the baby. <laughs> <laughs> definitely don't need you <laughs> oh that movie's fucking hilarious i, I might it. even like that more than i love Talbot when he breaks Hunt. down and finally agrees to quit doing drugs and then drops acid while they're hugging. <laughs> yeah, he turns around and says, did you take acid and, it's like, and he's like no it's pcp <laughs> Um, oh man uh and uh i guess there's a section of manhunter that's in birmingham yep uh what section is that that's the one where he calls the killer son of a bitch a oh yeah oh <laughs> william peterson <laughs> he talks his way through like uh this is the crime scene this is what you did you did that you didn't you did it you son of a bitch you did yeah yeah you really d- dislike that movie uh you know yes <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i just i just didn't like it well, if that's the case, then Red Dragon also has a scene that takes place in that's Alabama. That's true. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's basically the same movie. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost actors. exactly the same. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I think they used three-fourths of the script <laughs> from Man on Probably so. Mean, yeah. I, yeah. Um, uh, out of this group, I don't know if we want to we we want to do this where we're trying to come up with the best, because we didn't really have, we don't have like every movie that's ever been right. made or mentions Alabama on this list or anything, but um to kill a mockingbird really stands out as possibly the best movie it stands out and it holds up too yes i mean the book is amazing and the movie they made out of it is amazing Mm -hmm. um and that's one of those man like that's that's so instantly gripping anytime it's on i'm like just i just stop whatever i'm doing it was on the other day Oh uh, yeah, and I was just sitting there watching it. Uh, Greg Gregory Peck, yeah, <laughs> is uh, is is great in that. He's got so much presence, mm-hmm. even in his quiet scenes. He's really, really. And just... this was early '60s too. It's uh-huh. amazing how how prescient that movie is. Yeah, mm. no kidding. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would. If I we were voting on this, and I don't like I said, I don't know if we want to get to that point. No, voting on best yeah. movies that would be my my pick. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, mine would be Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon is adorable in that. She has she brought a baby to a bar. Oh, that is very adorable. Actually, so no, that's in- the she tells that to I think it's uh Melanie Linsky who's got the baby in the bar <laughs> yeah. and she's like, You brought a baby to a bar. <laughs> yeah. So she's in Crazy in Alabama and Sweet Home Alabama, right? 
I think it's Sweet Home Alabama. Uh, no, that's Melanie Griffith who's in that. That's uh, that's uh, I think she, yeah Banderas did direct. Oh, Crazy in Alabama, where she goes on, she kills an abused wife, heads to California to become a movie star, while her nephew back in Alabama has to deal with a racially motivated murder. Of course, it's a racial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, it was directed by Antonio Banderas. Yeah, that's because he and Melanie Griffith were married mm-hmm. at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, and that was sort of their sort of passion project mm-hmm. or whatever. What happened to that guy? I mean, I know he was in that Trap Miners movie or whatever, but mm. it's like Banderas just disappeared. Pretty much. Yeah. He started voicing that cat in Shrek, and then everything went downhill. <laughs> no. Maybe, I don't, I, I, maybe it was X versus Sever. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Ballistic. Um, another one that stood out on uh, Alabama was Big Fish, which I haven't yeah. seen in forever, so I, I can't really... I haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah. I remember really liking it. Yeah. That's the last good Tim Burton movie. I believe mm. uh, I, I need to watch it again because I remember not liking it when I saw it. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, I don't and it, it could just be, you know, just one of those things where you're trying to watch everything in a whole like Oscar season or whatever. And that one just comes up. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's wide eyed. It's it's almost like you remember when David Lynch did the straight story. Mm-hmm. It was about the guy driving a, yeah. a lawnmower across the country. Like, that's all it was. It was mm-hmm. just basically that. I felt the same thing with Big Fish. Like it was emotionally open, and everything. It was fantastical. It was just innocent, and most of his stuff really isn't that. No, I agree. Wait, is there is there anything in Big Fish that stands out to you as Alabama, or is it just the countryside? The just the well, yeah. I mean the whole the whole setting takes place there. I in fact, I think his adventures actually largely take place in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And when when he dies at the end, and they have his funeral. Uh, Ewan McGregor sees like all the elements of these stories. Like he see for the giant, he sees this super tall guy and mm. everything. And for for this, like he sees something else, and it puts him in context. And I think all of those kind of happen around the the same general area. Yeah, but it's a good movie. You should check it out. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so that that's uh, I think that's Alabama. Yeah, we've gone show. through Alabama. Um, let's go on to Alaska. Yeah. The thing that stands out immediately about Alaska is. You don't shoot a movie in Alaska unless you're doing a survival story. Well, yeah, there's, there's to me, it's either a survival story and or a snowbound story mm. and or something to do with the light dark cycle. Yes, yes. Which you have in that in, in that whole thing, you have 30 days of night yeah. and you have insomnia. Right. And everything. I think it captures the imagination of people to think about like a whole like whole third. Well, I guess. Is it just 30 days that Alaska is engulfed in darkness or is it longer than that? No, I mean, I think it's, well, it's both. It's both ends because in insomnia, it's that it's light all the time. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of the year, it's dark all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. But I don't think it's longer than like a month or two. It depends on where you are, too, in the state. It's a big state. But insomnia, the daylight is a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's pervasive. Like you can... I don't know. Obviously, you get climatized to all that stuff, but like as a like Pacino's character as an outsider going into that, I don't know how you deal with that. I don't know well, how you keep up with time. He doesn't deal with it very well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just doesn't sleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it starts to lose it. Yeah, yeah. I like that movie more every time I see it. Me too. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch it again. I keep saying that every time Insomnia comes up because I did not like it. When you didn't I first like it. Saw it. Yeah. Um, uh, but you see, you see stuff like Grizzly Man, and you see <laughs> Into the Wild and The Edge, and yep. I love The Edge. Yeah, yeah The Edge is awesome. Um, uh, 
one of those just gems from the 90s that more people should watch and every time a new survival movie comes out i'm like do we need one anymore <laughs> the edge did everything right yeah. um and the gray is in this one too yeah um but um out of that group um i guess yeah let you you laughed when grizzly man was brought up well because you need to know what you're getting into when you watch grizzly man. yeah because my wife is a huge fan of that's going to be the weirdest thing i've ever said i was going to say like northern states no that's, mm, that's a thing she likes nature and yeah, yellowstone yeah. and grizzly bears and all that kind of stuff so we see this documentary called grizzly man and we go to pop it in and we're expecting something not too far off from like a planet earth episode Right. That's not what this is at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is put together footage. This guy shot himself. He's a crazy person. Yeah. And he tried to go out and live with the bears. And they ended up eating it. Yeah. Yep. And he's really fucking weird. Yeah. And the whole I mean, I think it's worthy a worthy watch. Mm -hmm. I would even recommend it. But you need to it was such a bizarre experience for me thinking I was going to get one thing and then getting this completely opposite thing. You're probably like, thinking, that's why I chuckled when you bring up Grizzly Man. Like Jeremiah Johnson or something, right? Well, what yeah, you I was expecting like White Fang or something. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't expecting um, what Which I got. is also said in Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. So is Mystery Alaska. Yeah. yeah. Do you, did you ever see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that's where they fan. take on the uh, the New York Rangers. The right? New York Rangers in, <laughs> in in a stunt that would never happen. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, getting back on on Grizzly Man, like that's one of those that uh, Werner Herzog did that movie. Mm, yep, and uh, and uh, it's uh, I don't know. Yeah, he the dude is weird. Although you do sort of uh, latch onto his cause. He's trying to make sure that the bears are protected and not getting shot and all that. Um, and and from what he's saying, it sounds like nobody is around to help them out and nobody cares. And he's the only one who does. That's the reason why I think he's so driven in this movie. Yes, he is a crazy person, but, you know, it's one of those type of things where if you have a singular cause in your life yeah. and you see nobody else doing anything about it, you're going to take that upon yourself. And I think he, I, you know, the the sort of the moral of the story is that he he sort of gets lax, I guess, with he thinks that the bears actually care about him and everything. Right. It's it's easy for us humans to believe that the animals around us that just tolerate us or whatever right. love us. Yeah, and and so like especially if it's getting to a situation where they're hungry or anything like that, they don't give two fucks about you. Yeah. you know yeah that's but, what always kills me about you you ever seen that viral video of the the lioness that uh, somebody goes back to the safari after raising this lion cub, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and it's him. i will always love you and hugs and yeah like, yeah yeah that is not a good lesson to be no well, no um it's not and like <laughs> my wife and i like to think of our cats as you know that they love us or mm -hmm. whatever like with like we're their parents or what have i just read this article a couple of days ago at the, a new study shows cats probably just think humans are big cats mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't they don't like have an emotional attachment to us the way that we think they do we just we create that in our minds mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure that's what this guy did with yeah. the grizzlies i think i at first you see him he's like you got to be careful you got to be careful about this stuff you know like you know and you see him just kind of being that way but I think as you see him shooting day by day by day, to, he's he's sitting there going, he thinks he's one of them yeah. almost. And uh, yeah, uh, there's a point where Werner Herzog actually listens to the audio tape of him dying and yeah. everything. And it's just him, like they just take a shot of him 
listening to this through headphones and he tells the i guess it's the sister yeah. i think it's the sister uh he's like he's like uh don't ever listen to this recording mm. you should uh, you should get rid of this immediately you know because yeah. i imagine it's just the most awful thing that you could ever hear yeah uh it's the real life version of the revenant yeah yes it is um which is not set in alaska yeah exactly <laughs> even not. though it feels like it is <laughs> that is correct uh, you, I guess you could lump all those other survival movies in, but they all have different sort of things. The Edge, The Gray, and Into the Wild. Into the Wild is another sort of crazy person. Well, that's thing. not really a survival story, is it? Oh, yeah. It becomes well, it one. Become, yeah, 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 it does. Uh, did you like Into the Wild? Yeah, I did. I really liked Into the yeah, Wild. The, you didn't like it? Not so much. Um, yeah. I, I really did. I read the book, too. I've um, read most of Crack Hour's books, mm-hmm. um, but that was that was one movie I just didn't. I, same with the book the book didn't really grab me as much as into thin air did or mm. uh, under the banner of heaven yeah into thin air is a is great yeah um, he likes to start his books with prepositions does he i didn't know that right, is into, that a preposition under are they prepositions i mean i think he's got an into or a, yeah i guess so. i was never very good at math um <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys watch that? Did you guys watch that new Incredibles trailer? Yeah. He's yeah. like, why would they change math? <laughs> um, I like Into the Wild because, uh, I mean, I, 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 first off, the Hal Holbrook uh, performance, which should have won the Oscar yep. that year. Uh, Hal Holbrook's amazing in it. This is the first time I thought Kristen Stewart could be an actually mm-hmm. great actress, too um because we had only seen just very you know we had seen just a little bit but yeah the those performances and then just the just the yeah the actual story himself the the story itself where uh, you know a person can take all the precautions in the world Mm -hmm. and not know and not think sort of fourth dimensionally or whatever you want to like the the theory in in uh into the wild is that he crossed a river that you know was frozen and then he didn't realize it was going to be melted by a certain point in time even even in a like a a a month that you would think wouldn't melt a river or whatever like you you think that's always going to be frozen because you're in alaska and you know whatever but him having to like trying to survive all these days while that river rages and there's no way to get back to where mm-hmm. he's going and everything. It's uh, it really appeals to me. I understand that, you know, characters who do stupid things. A lot of times we sit there and go, eh, well, he deserved it. He didn't, yeah. you know, if you're going to be stupid, you know, that's what's going to happen to you. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's fascinating to study those characters. Yeah. And the whole stuff leading up to that is really, really compelling. Mm-hmm. Good actors. Um, Vince Vaughn is in this, Vince right? Vince Vaughn. Uh, I think Jenna Malone plays yeah, his yeah. sister. And Emile Hirsch is really good. Yeah. 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 Sean Penn directed it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I really did like that. Uh, I, I like all these. The Edge uh, The Edge is uh, one of those just, you know, it, Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin <laughs> chewing on David Mamet screenplay. It's just, uh, that's another just a fun one. Uh, and then The Gray, even. Uh, Liam Neeson versus Wolves. Yeah. I like me The Gray. Yeah, man. Oh, it's great. It's I really like it. good. I like it a lot. It's great. It's gr- it's great. Mm. This is great. G R E Y T. I feel like we're. I, I'm, I'm not looking at the list that you guys put together. Put together, but I feel like there's. I feel like we're missing something. Well, we're missing a lot of early films. There were a lot of pre '60s movies set in Alaska for whatever reason. Well, because it was probably more exotic to yeah, our yeah. culture at that time. Yeah. Um. 
Alaska is a weird fucking state. <laughs> you know, it's so far away. It's so ginormous. Yeah. So mm-hmm. ge- geographically different than any other U.S. It's just like it's like another Canadian province. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't. I never understood how Alaska didn't become part of Canada, and mm-hmm. and how Hawaii didn't become part of the Pacific or whatever. That's so. It's so fucking Hawaii is so fucking far away. <laughs> it is. It's almost like we were playing a game of civilization, and we're, and we're just like, <laughs> oh, there's an island. Better claim it before my opponent does. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't. I don't know how much we are missing. I mean, we didn't really get into Thirty Days a Night. That's a movie that I don't like very yeah, much. No. 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 Uh, it has a great idea. It is. It's a great premise. Yeah, with the vampires coming out during these thirty days and everything. But uh, it's just like any other freaking no, I mean, vampire movie. Yeah. Once that hits, so it's like it's fun, but it's also I mean the the premise is fun, but once you get there, you're like, okay, well, this is just like Blade. Or yeah, exactly. Something like that. It doesn't that really point. add context to it. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention before we move on is Northern Exposure. The, oh uh, yeah, the TV show that yeah. took place in Alaska. Yeah. Oh man, I loved that show. Mm-hmm. That seemed like a very David E. Kelly show, but yeah. it wasn't David E. Kelly. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was super fun though, man. And that's a place where Alaska really like added some some flavor and some mm-hmm. context to it. I had a mega crush on Janine Turner. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Janine. Yes. I don't know why I said that. Janine. Uh. <laughs> I feel like like Mystery Alaska. I feel like there's a comedy or. Something that that we you don't think of, I don't know why I'm stuck on this. That you don't think of <laughs> as Alaskan, but it happens to be in Alaska. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know why I think that that's. Uh, I've got I've got the thing pulled up. There's a scene in the Born Legacy, or there's a section in the Born Legacy. Oh, when he's in that cabin, uh huh, and the drone comes to kill him. That's right. Like there's that. also the there is um, White Fang. <laughs> And White Fang too. That's probably oh, the sequel to White There's Fang. also the uh, the alien abduction found footage movie called The Fourth Kind. Did you like that at all? Oh no, I hated that movie. No, I didn't. That was Mila Jovovich, yes, right? Yes, it was. And um, I remember the trailers being somewhat compelling, very compelling, uh, because Mila Jovovich gets on there and starts saying like, you know, this is real. If you don't believe me, then fuck you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great trailer. Uh, yeah, it would be. Um, and uh, and so so you're like, oh well, we have to trust Mila Jovovich, yeah, right? right? You know, she's not getting paid to say this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but then yeah, and, and that's totally fine. You know, you're being lied to. But and then you watch it, and it's like, yeah. I I here's a th- here's a trope in these. Uh, found footage movies that i really just i get tired of after a while i understand that you want to simulate this whole like somebody was shooting it with a camera or whatever so you have the shakiness and all that then you have the little like static breaks yeah, yeah. and stuff like that like you couldn't really totally see everything because you know this is a real camera and like it got disturbed during the shooting and <laughs> and everything and it that movie takes it to a whole new <laughs> level of like like you're not allowed to see anything that's cool here you're just you're just, uh, you're just gonna have something that like briefly shows up and you're like oh fuck and then it cuts away <laughs> so yeah i didn't like the fourth kind at all yeah me neither so overall like you said survival movies remoteness mm-hmm. light cycles things like that and hockey and yeah, hockey and hockey then out of these i would recommend the most insomnia it's what about that paul walker good. dog sled movie is that set in alaska Oh, is that Eight Below? Yeah. I'll that be was honest. a good movie, by the way. I know. I'll be honest. From my perch here in Tennessee, Alaska, no. Canada, and the Arctic Circle all run together. Oh, man. That's not. That's racist. 
like, you show me snowy mountains and a survival kind of thing, a guy on a dog sled, could be any of those places to me. I don't <laughs> yeah, really know. A below is in the Antarctic. Okay, just like the thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, no, the thing was the Arctic Circle. I think the thing was the Arctic. But the no, Arctic- it's, in, it's in Antarctica, too. Really? Yeah. Fuck. Is there any movie set in the Arctic Circle? Probably, like, I don't know. The beginning of um, <laughs> na- National Treasure? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it might be. The end of Captain America? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> First exactly. Avenger? Yeah. I think, I don't know, the... I don't know. I never know the difference. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I would have. I could probably like would have gone back and forth between Arctic and Antarctic. And <laughs> why didn't they name them something more different? As a kid, I remember like this is just unnecessarily confusing. Mm-hmm. Arctic <laughs> is the word Arctic is in both of these places' names, but they're both polar opposites, literally. Sure. So you could have one thing and then ant something else, ant mm. some the same thing. Just yeah. You should just name it something else. Yeah. yeah. You should name one Rick and one Steve. Right. It's like there's a, for AM and PM, it's anti-meridian. <laughs> Went to Rick and, last and week. <laughs> it was cold. I watched like f- a 10 minutes of a movie set in Antarctica with Kate Beckinsale in it called uh, Whiteout. Yeah. Mm. You ever heard of this? I remember mm. it coming out, yeah. Again, like 30 Days a Night, cool premise. Mm-hmm. She's apparently the only cop and they're doing changeover of employees and it's about to go total darkness for however many days. And she has to try and solve the murder before she's left in total darkness with the killer. Ah. And 10 minutes in, I gave up. It's not good. No, I wasn't enjoying any of it. Plus, there's like 40 fucking people in this station. And I'm like, I didn't think there was that many people in Antarctica. Uh, maybe I I'm just ignorant. It depends on where, I guess. It's like the most inhospitable place on Earth. Yeah. By the way, I, I just looked up Whiteout and it came out in 2009. The poster for Whiteout is indistinguishable from any Underworld movie. Oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> because it's got Kate Beckinsale on the cover, like big, huge face on the poster. <laughs> and then like her blue eyes, like just shining on the on the on the thing you can see right there. Oh, uh, yeah. Right there. All right. That is an underworld. Poster. That's underworld. Um, also, but, maybe but I got a little white. Maybe it's not darkness. Maybe there's a snowstorm coming or something. Yeah. I don't well, it's a white it out. White out. If you, you'd see you had an opportunity there with your movie called White Out and it's about snow. Uh huh all white poster mm, yeah That's yeah it. just a white poster could also words. be the sequel to get out <laughs> there was this is going to be difficult to describe but uh and calvin and Hobbes, there's a uh, a thing where calvin said he draws this little like tiny black mushroom looking thing uh, it's kind of like a like a tea there and he's like what is this he asks Hobbes, and he's like i don't know what he's like a polar bear in the snow blinking <laughs> it's like uh, the informant. Oh, Matt yeah. Damon's like <laughs> polar bears will cover their nose because uh, all of them are white except for their nose. My question is, how do they know their noses are black? Do they see other polar bears? Do they, do they look in the water and see the reflection? It seems like too much thinking for a bear is what I'm saying. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, if only if I did that, I would be, I would, I would be disguised. <laughs> like put, put 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 your paw over or whatever. Um, the uh, we would be remiss if we did not talk about On Deadly Ground. <laughs> <laughs> would we? Which would we? Which we would because uh, remember, by the time Steven Seagal has beaten all the ass in this movie, 
He then goes on a fucking 20 minute speech about environmental issues and stuff like that. Yes, he does. Like it's a seminar at the end of the fucking movie. It's a sermon. It's almost like Seagal went to the director and said, look, man, we're going to have to, we have to do this, man. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to beat your ass if we don't have a 20 minute (laughs) seminar at the end of this movie. Listen to some of the names in this movie, by the way. Character names. Unbelievable. So Steven Seagal is Forrest Taft. Uh, then you have the main guy, Michael Caine is Michael Jennings. Um, and then you have John C. McGinley is Magruder. <laughs> Magruder. <laughs> you have uh, Johnny Redfeather, Big Mike. Yep. Hugh Palmer, Homer Carlton. Yeah. Just a lot of like testosterone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. So those are the first couple of states. We'll see how this goes. I, You know what I like about this already talking about this is we're getting to talk about movies we don't generally get to talk about. <laughs> yeah, not on Deadly Crew. Well, yeah, sure. But, <laughs> I don't think that's come up before. But we haven't, we haven't, we've also not talked about like some of these other movies. Like we don't, we, we get to talk about the best of the best of the best sometimes. And sometimes we get to our like, you know, oh, here's a little scene gem or whatever. But focusing it on this sort of put some other movies out there that we may have not have talked about mm-hmm. a lot before and everything. So I, so far, I kind of like that. Me too. You want to go do some rants? Yeah, let's do some rants. Do it, baby. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I'm as mad as hell. You've never seen me very upset. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Why you, start? you always just hurt me? <laughs> I told you downstairs I didn't prep for the show. I'm going to have to do it on the fly. You want to start with All a right, rant? I'll start with one. This is a simple one. Uh, Fifty Shades Freed made thirty-eight point eight million. God damn! It. Domestically made a hundred million worldwide. God damn! Wow. Um, what what are we doing wrong? I don't know. Uh, the that's gonna some people are gonna take that like we literally want to damage movies financially when we <laughs> when we're talking about them. Um, but okay, so the movie didn't make as much as Fifty Shades Darker did in its opening weekend, and it won't make as much overall. Mm-hmm. so there is some fatigue there but after you watch 50 shades darker and i believe all three of us in this mm-hmm. room watch that unfortunately <laughs> yeah uh what was it about 50 shades darker that made people go i want to see the third chapter okay i have mm-hmm. i have a theory here mm-hmm. i think it's i think it's a combination of two things i think we're slightly underestimating the horniness of the middle american housewife mm-hmm. okay and then i also think we're under, I think people just feel compelled to complete something when they've sat through two. This this would be my wife to a T. She's a completionist. She starts oh, really? she starts a book, doesn't like it, she'll read the whole goddamn thing. Really? Because she she can't not finish it. And um, you know, we've had our we've had our disagreements around this kind of thing before because you know if the movie's shitty, I'm ready to be done with it. But she <laughs> wants to keep watching it. Right. God, finish it. <laughs> um, so I think there's some of that. I think it happened with Twilight too. I think there was burnout for a lot of people with the twilight movies but they had sat through four movies and they're like well i'm gonna see the end yeah. as trashy as twilight was though i could see people wanting to go to the next chapter because they de- they developed at least a loose you know i mean we didn't like it in here but uh they developed at least a loose thing where like there's this bella jacob and you know um robert pattinson i can't remember the fucking name <laughs> edward edward i mean i would have given up with it eventually but you know how this shit is um but um but like they set up that at least and you're like thinking well maybe you know she'll she'll jump to one or the other and i'm team jacob and i'm team edward and all that um 
So there's at least a, a loose thread there where you're like, oh, okay, I could watch the rest of this or whatever. But Fifty Shades Darker has no such thing. No. In fact, the last 30 minutes of that movie are nothing. Yeah. Yeah. There's true. nothing. There's not any, there's not anything in there that says, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. There's, it's completely done (laughs) with 30 minutes to go. The movie is done. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it in my life. (laughs) 30 minutes. uh, Yeah. He proposes marriage, but shit, who gives a fuck? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, uh, like it takes 30 minutes and then they throw some goddamn helicopter crash in there. Like that's going to be anything like, and then at the very tail end of it, they're like, well, Kim Basinger's still around. She's mad about something. Mm -hmm. And that dude that tried to fuck her in the, in the office, he's, he's still around. And it's like, yeah, but you never established these characters as anybody that I care about whatsoever. And so, yeah, maybe you have some sort of inkling that, okay, I want to see what happens with Kim Basinger, an asshole dude. But, like, (laughs) I don't, there was nothing in that movie. Even the sex in Fifty Shades Darker, I don't know how that satisfies anybody's, like, horniness. It did nothing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the few times that you'll see, like, you know, like, some, like, like it was a 10 sex scenes or whatever. Actually, mm-hmm. during the sex scenes in that movie, my dick looked up at me and said, man, can we watch something else? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you too. Um, so I don't, I, even, even the sex part, even the horniness part, I don't really understand because Fifty Shades Darker really didn't have anything That's in true. It. There's so much better sex stuff out there yeah i mean whether it's like a dime store novel or something well, it's like, like that. that joke we made in a recent sins video about like phone sex operators still exist <laughs> yeah there's, a, there's an audience for phone sex operators there's probably an audience for like they're still selling romance novels like yeah. crazy right yeah. and women by the millions are buying them and reading well them. i've read some of those because when i used to stay with my grandmother that was her her thing and i'd have nothing else to read so i'd read those and then I literally read the uh, the Fifty Shades of Grey, um, the actual book form, and it was awful. It was awful not only because the story's stupid, mm-hmm. but it was written terribly. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just the prose was off. It wasn't it wasn't well constructed. Mm-hmm. So I guess I don't know, man. I, I it just kind of became a phenomenon, and and I guess it's you know, easily recognizable. It's how you know elections go you just see the charles edward bone on there yeah and you're like ah, oh, bone i know bone right it's charles robert bone charles robert mm-hmm. bone i can't um <laughs> it should be edward it should be i'm uh, just saying that episode of seinfeld where lane wants that free sub <laughs> there's something there there's something about finishing something you've started you know i've eaten a lot of crap i, I agree somewhat but don't tell the producers of divergent series <laughs> um because nobody apparently wanted to see how that ended um no so, i agree with you it, it should not be making this much money and plus and 50 shades freed yeah it's such a terrible title oh yeah. which is funny because she gets married that's usually not a symbol of freedom. no it really isn't i mean and i mean and that you would think with a title like 50 shades darker it would have gotten darker it didn't and you know it it should just get progressively like more kinky yeah. and whatever it like really, he should be stabbing her by the third almost movie. yeah right yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> Uh, i mean he starts out the first movie as an abusive right. dick yeah he's basically a criminal if you're gonna 
step things up. There's really nowhere else to go. It really is. It's got to so. be punching her in the middle of sex or yeah. something. So I can understand why Fifty Shades Darker did okay. You know, 50, Fifty Shades of Grey, okay, that's just a trashy, you know, sex movie or whatever. And like, it's got some kinky stuff in it. Based on that one, okay, I can kind of see going to something called Fifty Shades of Darker. I can't see people going to freed and i understand it made a little bit less but not much less mm-hmm. than that's previous chapter it's still so. a lot of scratch yeah it you is you can't it's, imagine that these cost a lot oh they make. probably already made their money yeah and that could be another i mean that's the reason why it's made but i don't understand why the people come see it that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the next thing yeah, yeah. no i agree it's uh, a good rant yeah I, I don't understand it either i got a rant let's hear it. about uh, i'm gonna run through these cliches these movie cliches until I run dry, which will never happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, we were just talking about in the outtake section, pre-show about Blade Runner twenty forty nine. We all agree that it's a beautiful movie and that it's generally well done, right? I mm-hmm. agree with that. However, just like every other action movie ahead of it, it devolves into punching and kicking mm-hmm. at the film's climax, and I just don't get it. I don't get it. There, the whole thing is that Ryan Gosling is not a spoiler. I mean, he's he's a replicant, mm-hmm. and he's a super replicant, like a model that really never seen before, except for his counterpart on the evil side. Mm-hmm. And rather than figure out a super way to get them to to conflict at the end or to fight at the end, it's literally them punching each other over and over again and kicking each other over and over again. Happens twice in this fucking movie. Mm-hmm. I do love when he first meets Harrison Ford's character and Ford punches him like six times and that then gets all sense. weary and goes, well, we could do this all day or we could go have a drink. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I was... Uh, when I first saw that movie, that scene didn't make any sense to me because it's like Harrison Ford is holding his own against this super mm-hmm. replicant, and then you see him just like taking it and just like he's almost rolling his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really, do we have to keep doing yeah. that? Yeah. And that makes narrative sense, but it does not make narrative sense for the two most evolved beings in this movie, in an otherwise smart movie, to be doing this mm-hmm. like i know i guess there's action junkies that just want to see this well it's it's extra frustrating in a movie like this because and i'm you know i don't love this movie mm-hmm. um i like it more than the original blade runner but i have a lot of problems with 2049 but it it does have a lot of meat to like i i think i told you guys when we were walking in the studio i connected to gosling's character way more than i ever did to deckard in the first movie because of this memory he's got and this toy that he finds and there's just, there's a lot of meat there oh, yeah. a lot of shit to think about yeah well, let's punch each other at the end yeah, exactly <laughs> it's frustrating that the meat can't be part it would have been the nice ending. if harrison ford just said you know Hey, we can start punching each other the whole time, but uh, it would be a worthless endeavor, you know. And then just go ahead and and just say, just go ahead and go straight to the drink. Yeah. But they kind of wanted to. I think they kind of wanted to do this whole like Elvis hologram thing yeah, or whatever, yeah. which is fun. But like it, it just sometimes you got to cut out the things that you like, right? And, and you're, when you're making in a two-hour forty-minute, yeah. <laughs> that's what I always. Would, okay, that's what I. People sometimes ask me for like advice about writing, not that I'm like a famous author or anything, yeah, but that's are. what I always tell people is if you don't cut something that you like, if you don't cut anything that hurts to cut, then you probably haven't cut enough. Oh, yeah. Um, and I do that. That that goes for the Sins videos, yeah. although sometimes I will send them to you guys before I go through and do my cuts. <laughs> uh, um, that's the way I do the novels that I write. Uh, you, It has to hurt. Something has to come out. That hurts. Well, and this is uh, this is something that uh, M Night Shyamalan was talking about with the Sixth Sense because he said that he wanted to have I can't remember what scene he wanted at the end of this, um, 
but it was something it was beautifully written he said i just i just really really wanted to put it in there but then i realized that the i just realized that at the end when she drops the ring and that she kind of feels that he he's there and everything he didn't need to have a big speech at the end i think that's what it was bruce willis was gonna have like a Hmm. say something and he said you know when you go to film film school the first one of the first things they tell you is be prepared to cut your favorite scene out of this yeah and uh and it's what he it's what he realized he had to do with the sixth sense and everything in interesting m night Shyamalan, by the way mm-hmm. like what a what a weird peak and valley that guy's had no kidding well um, he's uh he's on the comeback road right now yep we'll see if glass turns out to be the village too <laughs> well i bet you the climax will include punching and kicking between <laughs> david and uh and the yeah i was see i was frustrated with blade runner 2049 that that his character seems to have conflict about whether or not he's a replicant because when he finds the toy spoilers skip five minutes when he finds the toy he goes back to joy and was like you were right mm-hmm. and joy had been telling him he was born he wasn't a replicant i don't know but then he runs through a marble wall like it's no big deal <laughs> and i'm but like he still that- knows his the, his capabilities though i guess i guess it never really entered my mind watching this movie that he might have been born of a replicant and be part replicant i just for some reason was assuming he was human um d- during the parts of the movie that were suggesting right, he right, right. had been born um I don't know why. I don't know why I was stuck on that. So no. when he ran through that marble wall, I was like, what the fuck? One, <laughs> one thing that they, they do in that movie, though, is that when you do find out who the kid is and everything, you find out that, oh, well, it, it may not, I mean, may not be the most successful of, I mean, it is a successful birth, but it's, you know, there, she has this whatever Galatian syndrome yeah. is and, and whatever. Um, it's uh, it, it does seem to suggest that there is some sort of issue with a human and a replicant, you know, reproducing does this movie come out and say that deckard is human yes yeah yes it does Mm. well because the replicants don't age do they yeah i don't think they do we don't we don't we don't have any frame of reference other than harrison ford and they didn't do that whole like you know digitally young him back or anything like that thank god young him Uh, (laughs) (laughs) dial him back to han solo years uh like they did sean young i think they did though i think they did um well yeah and they would have done that with harrison ford if he had if he didn't age uh because they did that with sean young well and otherwise they're saying that two replicants could fucking have a baby that's kind of how I took it, actually. Really? Mm. That's there, interesting. There may, be, there may be some section. I'll go. I'll scrub back through it. I could have sworn there was one section where they said what model number uh, Deckard was. That they said he was, he's a Nexus 8 or whatever and, you know, unlimited lifespan. Yeah, maybe. Maybe um, they did. I'll, I'll go back through and, and double check that. But I, know I, always, that, I know that there was an, always a conflict with Blade Runner with the director and Harrison Ford as to whether he was or right. wasn't. And that's why and that the, scene was tacked on at the end. Well, and the the Harrison Ford and Rutger Hauer did not like the idea that Deckard was a replicant because mm-hmm. it was supposed to be human versus robot, whatever, uh, sort of a theme towards at the end to have him be replicant too took away a lot of the meaning mm-hmm. of the movie. Maybe Denis Villeneuve decided, all right, we'll just go ahead and ha- say what Ridley Scott said, and 
he's replicant you mm-hmm. know i don't know i mean i guess it does also make sense that they're if they're beating each other at the end and he harrison ford doesn't get anything mm-hmm. done to him that he is one yeah i didn't really think of it i think like it that. says a lot that you guys have both seen this multiple times and i've seen it once and we don't know that's <laughs> true i always took it that, that this was the next stage in replicant evolution is that two of them could reproduce that he wasn't human you didn't need a human element that he was a replicant and that they could actually reproduce mm-hmm. well if you're gonna make fake humans mm-hmm. why are you giving them a womb why are you giving them sex organs at all yeah they're they're purely for but obedience wasn't the point of well no the the sean young one back in the day was not built for that I'm talking about the the new generation, the Wallace. Yeah, ones. the new generation, sure. Why why do the Wallace generations but, have? But going back hoo-ha's. to the question of whether they have a womb or not in the era that you're talking of the Sean Young model, all of them had to believe they were real. Right. Back then, so the the, the rules of why you would put sex organs on the new ones as opposed to the old ones, that's not the same argument. Right. Well, I also don't understand why you'd give them things that look like bones and then write some kind of number on the bones <laughs> so that w- once a bone is discovered you can find out oh that was a replicant bone. yeah yeah i'm just like why why not metal why plot not- convenience <laughs> did you not see terminator <laughs> all right my rant, anyway <laughs> my rant is not movie related technically <laughs> restaurant tours of america if you're gonna put a bunch of tvs in your restaurant and set them all to different channels and you're gonna turn the volume off so that i don't get disturbed during my dinner turn on the fucking captions Ah, yeah. And I think nobody thinks about this because nobody, most people aren't half deaf like me. Right. Um, but I, I watch everything with the captions, whether I'm pleasure viewing or writing sins or what have you. I, I need it because mm-hmm. I can't understand. It's actually frustrating to go to the movies sometimes because I can't understand what certain characters are saying because I don't have the captions there in front of me. But I, I don't understand how we got to this point. Let's throw a bunch of, let's spend thousands of dollars on big flat screens Throw them up there on the wall for people to have something to look at, but not let them understand what's going on. That is weird. Especially when you set it to ESPN and it's mm-hmm. some talking head show. It's, if I, it's one thing if it's a sport, because I can watch a sport without audio and know what's going on. That yeah. guy just scored a touchdown. When it's a talking head, I have no fucking clue what he's saying. <laughs> Why is the TV even there? I might as well be looking at a corner. <laughs> I don't know. Nor- normally, when I see this at restaurants, they do have the captions on. So that's really? odd. That- I've been to three places in the last week. That none, none of them had the captions on. Really? A Mexican place, a bar and grill, and um, I forget what the third place. I think it was just a bar. Fine dining. I, I'll, I'll see it usually if they have multiple TVs. It's like one that will have it, uh, and then the others don't or whatever. I do know that there also are people out in this world who are like, could you just take the captions off? Oh yeah, like they can't deal with it when there's captions. I don't on, understand on that TV, at all um, because they can't avoid can't avoid looking at it for whatever. Interesting. Reason. Um, so there is that too, but I think it's more along the lines of what you're saying is that they're not thinking about putting the captions on in the first place because why would we or whatever? Um, so you know, it's it's I think it's it, the same thing. The same sort of lack of care happens when you go to a sports bar sometimes. And you're there to watch all the football games that are playing. Uh, and and for some reason, they'll have five TVs on this one game. Yeah. And then and then there's two missing. And there's like and, <laughs> and you have to tell somebody, yeah, could you get this one game on there? Like, this is the whole point of you having all these TVs is to have every game on there. 
And like sometimes that happens when the changeover happens at 315. There's all these new games and whatever. They're like they'll keep things on that same channel sometimes hmm. and it won't flip over and you're like have to go and tell somebody you're this watching is the bowling. whole reason you exist <laughs> yeah is because of this yeah it's bowling or it's women's basketball and nothing against women's basketball i'm here to watch football you know or or beach volleyball which has its charms but you know it's some um, sometimes you gotta tell them and it takes like 20 minutes to, to change it sometimes. i just want if you're going to give me something to look at Give me some way to understand what I'm looking at. I totally it agree. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I feel like way more places don't use the captions. It sounds like you guys have seen the captions at restaurants. I don't feel oh, like yeah. I've ever seen them. Well, here's the counterpoint to it, is that if you do leave the captions on and say you're watching a baseball game or something like that, then the captions take up a certain chunk of the screen and that you may miss something during like the play. Yeah, I just don't understand why. I don't why think there's too much thought. You put the TVs up. Right. If you're never going to give them a second, but you're thought. not. You're not really. Um, you're not really talking about sports, though. Because no. you can see that visually. I'm what? saying if there's an actual game on, go over and turn the captions off. I'm half deaf. I don't care. I can yeah, tell what's yeah, going yeah. on in the baseball game, but they don't pay enough attention right. to even know what's on the TV. But yeah. the ones you want captions for are what? Like they just happen to have TV show on, or it's almost always Fox Sports or ESPN or News Channel, and there's a a host mm. talking mm-hmm. and i have no no fucking clue what he's saying yeah and i don't i don't know why that tv needs to be there if you want if you want to give me something as a customer to distract me that's true it's it just, makes it's, no you're sense. only going halfway yep it's really frustrating yeah it's there those tvs are there for sports and when they're not playing sports they don't care they don't what's playing yep i think you're right you want to talk about movie I I can talk about movie. Oh man, Mubi. I uh, obviously have seen a couple of more movies on movie. Yeah, since uh, our last podcast, uh, the, I I completed the uh, Jean Pierre Melville thing that they oh, have yeah? on there. So I've watched all of them. I watched Army of Shadows, which is really good, and the Red Circle or Le Cercle Rouge. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the exact French that is that's how they say it did i tell you guys i taught mike's daughter how to like fake french <laughs> we, we went we went over there to mike's house and his, his oldest daughter was playing with a soccer ball and i i said you know it's not a soccer ball it's a football <laughs> and in french they call it le ball de foot <laughs> and by the end of my visit she was saying le ball de foot <laughs> of course <laughs> well, i, I think i'm french. gonna say it for the rest i'm of the a day. bad influence um but uh the the red circle uh of all the ones that i watched and 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 Recently, I found out that Bob La Fla- Bob La Flam- Flambeur, uh-huh. Bob the Gambler, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, was uh, a movie that uh, like Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson and a lot of those like considered one of their favorite movies, or really, something like that. And I was like, I was surprised. But the one that I I really liked out of that was The Red Circle because it's another it's another heist movie, mm-hmm. but the heist in this uh, it's a jewel heist and it's it's one of those things where they set it up and it's wordless. Mm. all the way through and it's so tense and it's one of those mission impossible type scenes where they can't make they can't make noise and they have to like ensure that things that they do don't make noise and all that oh my god that movie is great uh that that's uh another winner that i saw on movie man winner winner chicken dinner i'm telling you once you start like watching movies on this thing it's difficult to stop in a good way because 
you're like, you know what? I I kind of got into that genre, and now there's like maybe two or three other ones that are right around there. And they actually have recommends at the end when you get done with your movie. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, you may also like this, 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 and this. I know Netflix also does that, but this is obviously more niche, and it's more catered to your interests based on you know what you just yeah, watched. Yeah, sort of curated. Yeah, it's exactly curated. And I mentioned last time I'm getting into French cinema. This I, I saw a, a film that was... It's directed by an Italian director, but set in France. It's called Woman Times Seven. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious. It's from 1967. It stars Shirley MacLaine in each of seven vignettes. And it's fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me tell you who else is in this. Peter Sellers. Mm, wow. uh, in, the, in the get-go, like in the first scene, he seduces a woman, played by Shirley MacLaine, who is literally on her husband's funeral march. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's so great. It's like, I wanted to tell you how much I love you. From all this. And she starts walking away from the funeral. Oh my God. It's so great. Uh, there's also uh, Alan Arkin, Michael Caine, uh, wow. Rosano Brazzi. Like, there's just everybody is in yeah. this movie. And uh, it's hilarious. It, what's, what's interesting is it shows all the different facets of womanhood back in those days, like right around the sexual revolution and everything. Mm-hmm. And Shirley MacLaine, man, I I haven't gotten into like Shirley MacLaine's backlog, but she's awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah that, that's a strong recommend for me. And then another one I watched is a architectural documentary called Danunzio's Cave. Mm-hmm. If you're into some weird stuff, yeah, I tell you what, man, that's the thing about a movie is that <laughs> is that you're gonna get a lot of experimental stuff, but you're also gonna get stuff that you know is stuff that everybody agree like people who are real cinephiles right. agree that it's really good movies and you've never had a chance to see them before mm-hmm. and everything. So yes, there is some experimental movies and there's some that are going to be watching going, I don't know what's going on, Yeah, but it's, <laughs> but, but it's it, kind of my bag. Yeah, too. <laughs> exactly. I mean, one that falls under that category. I saw the, uh, the, um, it was from, I guess, 2011 sleeping beauty, which has Emily Browning. Oh and, yeah. And, uh, and it's it's basically it's this it's about this girl who just like takes every job in the world basically and uh doesn't seem to really care one way or the other as long as she gets paid and all that and uh and finally one that she takes is is kind of fucked up Uh and uh and so like that's an interesting setup that 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 you know that it's this fucked up thing that she's she's going into. By the time this airs, by the way, uh, one that Jeremy would probably be interested in, Damien Chazelle's first feature. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Guy and Madeline on a park bench. Mm-hmm. Now I've never seen this. Nope. I actually really after I watched Whiplash, I really wanted to see it and just never really had an opportunity to. It's going to be on the service. I'm very. Week. I'm actually very excited about that one. Yeah, because um, you know I've seen. I guess two movies he's made, but they both feel like, you know, a guy who's firmly in his wheelhouse and knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, um, they're both so home runs. <laughs> it's a very good chance his first movie uh, is also awesome. Yeah, so yeah. I'm very excited. At yeah. the very least, you should still get on there while you can see Six Shooter, the Martin McDonough. Yeah, show film, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, like I said, that was a complete surprise. Completely, just totally ridiculously funny. Like <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting it at all. Like the way it starts out, you're like, oh, that's gonna be kind of a serious you know whatever introspective type movie whatever and like within three minutes you realize what you're in for nice well listen i i hope you guys like this because we're talking about movies we're talking about movies that affected us in one way or another uh go to movie.com slash cinema sins 
you get 30 days free, man. What do you wait? Like, what's the risk? Just yeah. go, go in, man. There really is no risk. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I think that's one of the things I like most about this particular promotion that they're doing with us is that, hey, try it for free. We're that confident. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> just throwing it on the table, and, man. You know, we, we've been hooked and <laughs> we, you know, we're, we're now, we're able to be honest in mm-hmm. saying how much we like the service. So, um, Give it a try. Yeah. You're not out anything. Mubi, M-U-B-I. Yes. Dot com slash CinemaSins. That's it. And join us. 30 days. Yeah. All right. Do you want to go to some news? News on the mark. I've got an interesting news story. All right. Um, have you heard about this Paul the Apostle of Christ movie? Only in your email. Have you heard about this before? I think I've seen the title. Is it a studio film? I think it is. Uh, it's got Jim Caviezel, who's not playing Jesus. He's playing Luke. Um and he's, co- he's going to hit all those Bible characters before well, it's done. He's, he he really is a Christian though, right? Isn't that, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, like so. he he had this rule that he he uh when he'd have love scenes with other actresses, he they they were he would tell them don't get naked or don't like you don't have to you'd always have to cover up and everything. So like anytime there was like nude scenes called for or whatever, he would always be like, I don't want to be in the same room i wonder how he ended up in deja vu because that's not a very christian role <laughs> i don't know he's like a mass murderer in that it movie. may not it may not uh-huh. it may he may be fine with everything else but if you put a naked woman that's not his wife and i know people like that yeah well isn't there somebody who was famous for they wouldn't kiss in their movies because they were so in love with their wife they wouldn't kiss another actress uh, i don't know i'm sure like, there is i feel like i read that story somewhere. like that's gotta be true it's gotta be true <laughs> yeah gotta be anyway tell us about paul the apostle so it, christ it's in a sense a, a studio film a firm studios uh, made it a firm sounds like a christian studio it name. does um here's my question okay so I, I watched the trailer for it the trailer actually is interesting it turns this into kind of like a a thriller because luke is going uh to to visit paul the apostle of christ <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. just like the credits. title promises yeah exactly <laughs> who is imprisoned in, in Rome and is and is awaiting trial and stuff like that and it's like oh we have to get his letters out which obviously is the basis for most of the New Testament we have to get his letters out and everything and it, it looks like it's interestingly paced it's got uh, James Faulkner it's got Olivier Martinez like it's it's got some really interesting people in it and I was thinking like maybe this will end up being a good movie and then I was thinking why isn't this a good movie because Biblical content has some of the most interesting shit in it ever. I mean, that's part of the reason that the Bible lives on for so long is that it's got incredibly interesting stories. What are the best Christian movies? Like, what what's a really good movie that's based on should have, the Ten Commandments? Should have brought this up when Dicer was here because he would have he would actually have a lot of knowledge about this. Possibly I'm sure so. there are some that are good, but as us Ben Hur features Jesus in there. Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. But those were forever ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's like it's suspenseful stories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> those also weren't being made to minister to people. That's what I'm saying. Like, you could just take the content and make it interesting. I mean, just just put it on to, to film, and it, it will be interesting. You don't have to necessarily rely on making sure that people get the message. Well, I think People that's, will probably take that subtext, obviously. I but, think that's the problem with, with a lot of, quote-unquote, Christian films, whether it's the, the Kirk Cameron stuff, mm-hmm. which is all like objectively terrible yes um or uh something like the shack right which has big stars in it but i can't get through five minutes of that (laughs) movie and it's because i think they're making the films from a place of ministry more so than entertainment right Uh, the goal of the film is ultimately 
to bring people closer to Christ or bring unchurched people into the church. It's not to entertain. Now, if a studio went, well, okay, they made a movie like Noah with Darren Aronofsky. Right, right. They completely skewered everything that happened in the Bible, (laughs) and they didn't execute that. But you would think if a studio approached some of these Bible, because you're right, some of the Bible stories that I grew up hearing are just fantastical they're yeah just and they're, cr- they're insane yeah and you know like like the battle of jericho i think would be very cinematic mm-hmm. um but i think if it, if a religious tinged studio is trying to make that film they're going to try and put lessons in there mm-hmm. whereas from a what we're talking about from a viewer standpoint the excitement would be in, in the action on screen not the moral of the story right um but yeah gideon's story is fucking bonkers I mean, I, I was looking. By the way, there, I just described a, a Bible story as fucking bonkers. That's right. <laughs> Preacher's isn't, kid. Isn't there a, a Samson coming out too? There is. There is. I saw a trailer oh, yeah. for it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it also had the feel of. Well, it kind of felt like the three hundred. If I'm remembering yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, um. But I saw the I saw the trailer and that I said that looked pretty terrible too. But. Yeah, it does. And what? Oh, that's out now. Oh, is it out now? <laughs> is it really in theaters? Uh, when did it come out? What's it called, Samson? February 16th, so it'll be tomorrow. Oh, it's a date movie. Yeah. Um, Valentine's weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, the since Passion of the Christ came out, I don't think any of these studios have taken um, their uh, religious uh, content seriously enough at this point. Yeah. Uh, the the Passion of the Christ was a, was a you know, obviously a, a marketing wunderkind. Yeah. Um, where Mel Gibson went around and showed this movie to churches and said, this is the, you know, this is something that all Christians will want to see, the, act, the terrible suffering of Christ and all that. Went around and showed these uh, churches all this stuff, and then they got people to, like, I don't know if you want to say guilted them into it, but it seemed like that. Yeah, um, you're going to go along with it. I was I, I was successful in telling my parents they did not have to see this movie. They they were very, like, did not want to see it. Like, it's like, I, I feel like the need to watch it, but at the same time, I've heard what's in it, and I don't really, it's like, you don't, you're not any more Christian if yeah. you watch it or don't watch it. Um, But it was such an, uh, what? <laughs> you're right. I think there are people out there who who went because they felt like it was their Christian duty. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so like, uh, everything since then, first off, they haven't made the movie with the quality of that. Right. Now, depending on what your, or the uh, budget. Yeah. Depending on what your, uh, definition of quality is on the passion of the Christ, that movie is very hard to sit through. Well, it's well shot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a movie. It looks like a, a studio does. movie. Yeah. But everything that has come out since then has been like, oh, here's a. It, it, they haven't had that same kind of grassroots, uh, a, you know, attention to all these type of movies. They haven't had to go to the church and show them and say, hey, you might want to get your congregation to watch this and whatever. Now they're just coming out with it and saying, well, because this is a religious movie, they'll just come out no matter what. Hmm. It's what it seems like is happening. Hmm. That, you, know, you say, hmm, like... No, I'm not disagreeing. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Igno- ignore me. I'm just making no- noises. No, it just seems like that's what they're doing now. They're not... It's not an event anymore. Right. It's just, oh, well, you went to see Passion of the Christ, so you're therefore going to watch Exodus, Gods and Kings, or whatever. Well, and I also think there's a niche... God, I'm a cynic. I think there's a niche in this Christian movie market where they're just trying to make money. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, well, of course, you can make yeah. one of those Kirk Cameron movies 
for a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. And if shot on an iPhone, <laughs> if yeah. you put it on DVD and you throw it out there in the Christian bookstores and what have you, you're going to sell enough copies to maybe make a million. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty big profit margin. Turn around and do it again. And I think there's an audience for these kind of ministering movies. I think that I think there's an audience of people that like them. My mom likes going to those movies. Um, she loved the shack. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I had to pretend that I did, too, when I was with her. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in general, I think I think that the, what stops the quality from going all the way where we we would want it. The three of us in this room is this the is the intention of ministry. Yeah. The intention of of uh, touching people's hearts with a with a message. And and you're also right. I think maybe Noah was a cautionary tale because they they threw a lot of money into that. Rel- relatively a lot. It was 125 million. Mm-hmm. Um and they only made 100 million domestic. So but 326, you know, worldwide. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I just wish that there would be some sort of quality attempt that wasn't Noah um, to to really give us one of these crazy stories. You're right. Jericho would have been like a terrific. Well, that's oh, the yeah, thing, right? They always go for these like high profile. Everybody off the street has heard this story yeah. thing, whereas those are not the, you know, the water cooler Bible story. <laughs> 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 Did you hear what happened with hey, did Ruth? You, did you catch that episode of Samson last night? <laughs> oh my God, it was insane! Oh Jesus, that's awesome. Hezekiah, man. Well, that's even crazy. even Paul has way more cinematic moments in his story and his life. Yeah, man. His conversion would make a much better movie than him writing letters from jail. Yeah, can you imagine him like out there like oppressing the the Christians and everything yeah. and and then he has the that character moment. arc to come yeah. up. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, there's a lot of good stories to tell. The problem is just that I don't think Hollywood I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I think if it's churchy or biblical it's, yeah, there's there's a lot of baggage that comes. Yeah, yeah you yeah. immediately are going to cancel out fifty percent of the people because they're just like, mm, yeah. But the, but I mean, the Ten Commandments, as weird as it seems, was essentially agnostic. I mean, Cecil B. DeMille wasn't trying to proselytize to everybody. He was just just a story reporting what was on the page mm-hmm. essentially, and it was great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Anyway, that's my news. All right, that's my news. The good news. I have news too. Yeah, that's you have news. news. Ooh, go for your news. Um. So apparently there's a tiny little bit of whitewashing controversy around Annihilation. Yeah, what's up with that? Hmm. The new Alec Garland movie, hmm. which I am super geeked about. Are you really? I've, I've read a handful of non-spoiler reports from people who have seen it, and it got me pretty damn excited. Now, the problem is it's based on a book, mm-hmm. and in the book, one of the two female leads is uh, Indian, um, as in from India, right? and one of them is Asian. I think. <laughs> and in the movie, Natalie have, Portman is neither of we those. Have Natalie Portman and who's the other actress? Oh, uh, it's another white American. Yeah, it's uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee. Now, um, first thing I read about was two, three days ago, there's some kind of whitewashing controversy. And I saw Alex Garland's quote, and it was bit, something along the lines of, you know, I read a book, I thought it was fantastic, and that's why I wanted to adapt it and make it into a movie. And um, it just never even occurred to me that this was something I needed to not do. What I want to talk about is that Jennifer Jason Lee and Natalie Portman have responded, and both of them said, this is the first time hearing about it. They never read the book? Okay, that's my question. Now, 
I'm sure there are actors, probably Christopher Walken, who would take a role and don't do any prep or research. <laughs> but just walk in and go, right? But it's much more common when you see Brie Larson announced as Captain Marvel, and then the next week she's on Instagram with pictures of her reading Captain Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. She's trying to understand the character a little better. Especially if you have source material. I do not believe script. for a second. That Natalie Portman didn't know her character was not American. I don't mm. believe that for a second. Yeah. Mm. And I, I, it's actually shocking to me that both of them are going with that defense. Mm. I don't I know. I didn't know. I, I didn't know it was based on a book. What? <laughs> I didn't know the characters in the book weren't American. How? I agree sense. that especially with those two who I deem highly intelligent, uh, that it seems unlikely. Um, however, I can still give them the benefit of the doubt, um, because there are times that I think certain actors believe that if you read, uh, previous material, yes, you're changing what you would do with the character yep. because the book has a different kind of description in it that sort of colors your perception of what that character is. Um, I, I, I do say it is unlikely. Like I, I would say that it's probably... You know, it's probably eighty percent unlikely, that mm-hmm. they, or whatever. It's it, that they didn't know, but at the same time, I know certain actors, and this is you know beyond any kind of controversy, have said, "Yeah, just I chose not to read that book or watch the television series yep. or whatever this is based on because I didn't want to uh, start mimicking that. Uh, I want to have my own interpretation of the character." So I will give the benefit of the doubt here. I do say it is unlikely, but but you can still have an interpretation. How do I understand that the screenplay is going to be slightly different from the book? Mm-hmm. But that's still your character. Like, how do you have a different interpretation of how the book portrays your character versus the? the there screenplay? are definitely actors that have that stance. Dang. They don't want to poison. The, their connection to the character by reading the previous work and adaptations are f- famously changing things yeah. about characters mm. um so to you know to say that that doesn't color their perception a little bit if the if the author wrote it one way and the screenwriter wrote it another yeah um, even if they decide even if natalie portman said i don't want to read that book to poison my portrayal of the character i still believe she had to know it was based on a book and I still believe she had to have picked up some information about that character in the book along along the year and a half journey of making this movie. Yeah. It probably came up in the, hey, Natalie, I got the script for Annihilation. Well, what is it? Well, it's based on a short story, but it's Alex Garland. He just made Ex Market. Oh, okay, I'm in. <laughs> she still knew it was, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. think it probably came up early and it rings a little hollow. Maybe part of it was her wording because she was in an interview and somebody brought it up and she said, Honestly, this is the first time hearing about it. Mm-hmm. It felt it. It feels like a pre-planned answer. Maybe she's talking the first I've heard of the controversy instead of the actual. Maybe. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I agree that your eighty percent is probably. Yeah. <laughs> again, I'm not saying I know. F- I said I don't believe for a second, but I, don't, I obviously don't have any proof. Mm-hmm. It's just it really shocked me to see that response because every few months there's a movie that comes out that gets accused of whitewashing something. We had a. We had Doctor Strange. We had uh, Ghost the in the Shell anime, Ghost in the Shell, and 
you know, it, nobody has ever taken this approach before. I didn't know that person wasn't white. I didn't. They always have some other answer. <laughs> yeah. And this, I can't believe that this is where we're at some now. Of these, like, some of these movies, um, I, I, it doesn't make any sense why they changed the character to white. Man, uh, this may be controversial for me to say, but it's very hard for studios to imagine their movie being a hit by taking uh, an Indian and an a- and an Asian actress who, unfortunately, were in this self-perpetuating cycle because they're not getting the chances. So then they're not name recognition right. type of people. And so once it comes up to a point where they, they'd be perfect for a role, they don't have that name recognition that gets people to watch it. I will go one step further. Yeah? I think there are racist bigots in America that literally would probably not go see Ghost in the Shell if it starred an Asian actress. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're stuck in this really bad situation right now. Like, it would be nice for them to go, all right, fuck that. We're going to put an Asian actress in here and an Indian actress in here, and you're just going to watch it, goddammit. But it doesn't work that way. No, it in fact, doesn't. this whitewashing issue is, is almost just like, the same reason we have the Transformers movies is that, that these studios are operating on uh, dollars. It's about dollars, right? And yes, the right thing to do may be to cast an Asian actress in Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't surprise me if they had research and numbers suggesting they would make half as much money if they did that. That's true. And ultimately, a movie studio, if forced to make a choice in a movie based on morality or money, it's always going to be money. Yep. Every single time. And you already have a dense type of movie to sell in the first place. Yeah. It's a sci-fi, like, you know, they're not destroying something, they're changing it, you know, and all this. I still and, have no fucking clue what this movie's about. Yeah, <laughs> which, I think is, which I think is on purpose. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, they're not showing us too much in the trailer and everything. Um, but yeah, I have a hard time. I know that it may it may uh, offend people when I say something like along that lines. I'm with everybody. I want sure. more. I want these actors actors to get you know if they, if it was written this way, then maybe they should uh, cast someone who's that same race or whatever. But studios are looking at bottom line, yep. and uh, and unfortunately, we're in a self perpetuating cycle. Like if we could get more movies that had these actors and actresses in them and they suddenly uh became bigger then they could finally start you know like i, I feel like kumail nanjani could be that person mm-hmm. at one point mm-hmm. you know i mean he could he's i think he's on the cusp of being that type of actor that might, might be. be able to to carry a whole movie you put him in front yeah. and center and everything so you need more movies like big sick and stuff like that to start to prep everybody and then they move up to the you know to the big time yeah or whatever to, to a certain extent mathematically it's going to happen eventually yeah, I may not be alive to see it, but you know. Well, I mean, look at look at Black Panther. I mean, it's uh, on pace to you know the the projections are huge for February mm-hmm. release. Well, yeah, and don't think the studios aren't looking at that, yeah. going, "Well, they're going to make a shit ton of money with this <laughs> movie, and there's only like two white people." In it. <laughs> I know, mm-hmm. and that that is a good thing. Yeah, uh, we're we'll eventually get there, just because of the melting pot nature of America. It'd be nice to get there earlier because we're doing the right thing. Yep, but Hollywood needs dollars yep need them dollars mm-hmm. um yeah we're so we're gonna get into a bevy of beehive topics on these news things <laughs> great um amy schumer came out with that uh, we have that new trailer for i'm so pretty or i feel pretty i can't wait because i saw a headline that suggested there's a controversy i don't know anything about it um so 
the 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 movie it's funny the i read the the read the article the the main article that's uh uh calling this trailer out uh and but i as i watched the trailer first i was like this is kind of like shallow how mm-hmm. and they mentioned shallow how in the article too so like so in shallow how if you realize you remember jack black is a guy who can only see super hot physical you know physical like physically attractive women as attractive you can't see anybody else that way and then he has a experience with tony robbins in an (laughs) elevator and like uh suddenly he sees all these women who are beautiful on the inside as beautiful on the outside really a lot of mixed messages going on seriously this movie is (laughs) fucked up it is yeah um and uh, i feel pretty amy schumer plays a character who obviously doesn't feel that she is attractive and then she gets hit over the head Oh boy! And she starts feeling that she is this type of attractive. So now, see, premise alone, I think there's st- something to work with there. It's sort of a reverse shallow. Hat. Yeah, sort of one of these things where you know she doesn't see others this way; she sees it's herself. her own perception. Yeah. Okay. Um. So so the whole thing is is you know that she goes into like she's got all this confidence. She's able to talk to men and say, "Hey, you just want to you have my number or whatever you're, you're just sitting there talking to me you must really like me because i'm so beautiful and so on and so forth goes into job interviews the same way like i feel like i could be a model that type of thing all these different you know uh, instances where she's got all this confidence because she feels that she's pretty the article came out and said that amy schumer is trying to pretend like she's not the standard but isn't she really the standard she's blonde hair she really is thin blah 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 and i'm sorry no (laughs) (laughs) i was sitting here thinking no like i'm i don't think she's ugly i know but she's not the standard no and and like the character she's playing off against in in this movie that she looks up to as beautiful is emily radikowski oh Oh, well that's part of the problem right right that's part of the problem but the article's like saying like well she's blonde hair blue eyes and she's really thin actually when you look at it blah 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 isn't she really the standard that she's complaining or railing against no Mm -hmm. sorry no if you talk to average men out there they're gonna say "Eh, don't really care for amy schumer she's built her career out of comedy about not being the standard. Yeah, yeah. Saying, in her estimation, she's not right. Right, and uh, and again, I don't have any problem with the attractiveness of Amy Schumer. I'm like <laughs> uh, uh, totally fine with how she looks and everything. But to say that she's the standard, then we're just lying. We're just being liberal dicks at that point by saying that she's the standard when she's not. Like if Emily Ratajkowski was playing the main character. Yeah. Who didn't think she was pretty. Yeah. Then there'd be a problem. Well, and that's what led to my <laughs> led to led to some other things after that was like, we're really saying it, like this isn't she's all that. This isn't <laughs> Rachel Lee Cook here. <laughs> Just because she has glasses, glasses on. <laughs> oh my god, the glasses and the ponytail. And, and frumpy clothes. Yeah. Um, and uh this same this by the way, the same sort of argument or debate happened with the truth about cats and dogs janine garofalo oh yeah i remember that janine garofalo has a best friend uma thurman who's you know drop dead gorgeous and everything and she compares herself to uma thurman all the way through it and i remember a siskel and ebert a review where they had to get this out of the way is janine garofalo pretty or not and i think she is and i don't think that there's any reason why we think that she shouldn't consider Mm. herself pretty in this movie Uh, remember it's okay to love your dog (laughs) <laughs> just don't love your dog yeah, yes um 
So, yeah, we had the same debate about Janine Garofalo. That was 22 years ago. Jeez. Um, that that movie came out. And, yeah, I, I, under, I mean, if you don't like it, you don't think it's funny, that's one thing. But to say that she's the standard... You're looking at things at a, in a completely different way than most people. I agree. I agree. Well, and you're looking at the whole, it, it seems like, the, having not seen the trailer, the premise of the movie is that she does not consider herself to be attractive. So you have to base your standards on what her standards are. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't matter if she is Emily Radzikowski. If she doesn't feel like she's attractive, then it's coming from her perspective. Plus... <sighs> I bet there are women out there who are the standard who still struggle to see themselves as pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There, there's, there's some Emily Radikowski characters out there who yeah. are like, I'm just not. And I don't think that, I don't think, like, if I saw Emily Radikowski and she was like, I don't feel pretty, I wouldn't say liar. Right. Because I know people have self-esteem issues mm-hmm. and not everybody sees when they look in the mirror what you see when you see them. I'm pretty sure at some point in her career, Cindy Crawford went, you know what? I'm pretty. Right. I'm pretty attractive. Mm-hmm. I'm hot. I can accept that now. But not you know, people on the street who are super hot, they don't necessarily have that same confidence right. level. So yep. Yeah. So uh, that was the controversy that came out, and I really think it's manufactured yeah. bullshit. Sounds like me. it. Um uh your bait you know, what you're basing whether you're gonna watch this movie or not, is is it funny to you? Is this something interesting to you? Who cares if Amy Schumer is some standard in your mind that is attractive in you know in in this world? Just base it on what you think it is. Now, yes, there are some times where you you watch a movie and you're like, you know, they they do this with uh, Bad Moms. And yes. they do it with Girls Trip. Yep. Where both Jada Pinkett Smith and Mila Kunis, who are gorgeous by any standard, cannot. First off, they're not even human when they go out right. to bars and everything, <laughs> but guys are turning them down because they just because they talk about stupid shit or whatever like Mm -hmm. like it's it blows my mind i'm like if i knew that this type of thing was happening i should be able to get me lacunas (laughs) i should be able to get that immediately we gotta get you laid it's impossible yeah the way it's worth macaulay calkin got me lacunas for several years that's true that's true um but like it just that type of thing doesn't that I can understand when it's someone who's like in that other stratosphere, you may have that sort of criticism in some way, but still, like you said, isn't it based on your own standard? Yeah. And why are we, why are we knocking Amy Schumer yeah, for thinking this is that, what you're going to get all riled up about? Right. Come There's on. so many <laughs> things that we can get riled up about. And this is not one. Uh, we do uh recommend warning. Yeah. Let's do some recommendations. Totes amaze balls. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. You seem like you got a hot one. Well, it's interesting because I, I think technically these would both be Rekka warns, <laughs> but I don't think they're officially either a recommendation or a warn. All right. I watched two films in the last few days that are fairly recent that I hadn't seen, and for very different reasons. They are already two of the most uncomfortable viewing experiences I've ever had in my life. Mm. The first one was Birth of a Nation. Oh, the, the, the more recent, recent one. one. Yes. Have you seen this? I haven't. Have you? No. But I feel like this movie way overindulges in the violence. Oh, yeah. Mm. And at both the violence being committed against the slaves before they revolt and the violence the slaves commit against the masters after they revolt. You know that scene in... 12 Years a Slave, 
where it just lingers on that hanging body mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. And there's like two moments in that movie. And I think they're both important moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lingering is used well to good effect. Every moment in this movie does that. Mm-hmm. Every single one. Wow. Mm. Every single wound, stab, punch, welt, bruise is just, it's almost like the movie loves him. Hmm. And I don't, I don't even know who made this movie. Was yeah, it the star? It was the star of it did it, and um, that's a little troubling too. He he got accused of uh, mm-hmm. some some shenanigans as well when that oh. movie came out. I oh, like harassment? Yeah, it was Nate har- Parker. Nate Parker. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, and I don't want to get the the accusation wrong, so I'm not going to say. But he was one of those who got accused during while this this was not during me too yeah this was during the movie was out yeah um and uh and it it definitely i think that definitely hurt it a little bit because it was i think it was headed towards you know possible oscar it had buzz yeah uh but uh but when it came out i remember a critic starting to savage it and i'm wondering if they savaged it because of what they knew afterwards or what but anyway you're bringing up a, a topic that um, is interesting to me. Uh, watching the movie Selma, which doesn't have like graphic violence mm-hmm. in it or anything. Uh, and, and we know that, you know, back in the day, especially, and I don't think, I, don't, I think if, if you're someone who murders people, there's not really any, any limit to what kind of, you know, horrible way of murdering somebody. You don't, it's no different now as it was back then, but um but uh you are always in this um bind i think as a filmmaker do i show it to the nth degree that it was right or do i suggest it and then have people not understand how bad it was well and that's what i i was thinking about that the whole time because i was like this is this is really uncomfortable for me but what if the intention is this is actually how it was. Well, it's like the Passion of the Christ. Right? Well, yeah, yeah it's yeah, yeah. very much similar. And, and Mel Gibson was accused of overviolence mm-hmm. in that movie uh, to make his point. And it's odd to compare those two movies, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I was made very uncomfortable for long periods of time by the way he shot this film. Um, interesting side story. I accidentally watched two Army Hammer movies I had never seen because he's that guy's owner in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then there's some other movie I ended up watching all of that I regret called Mine, where mm. Army Hammer is in like Afghanistan and his partner dies because he steps on a landmine and then Army Hammer steps on a landmine and the whole movie he can't move his leg. Oh. And it's not good. It's like, it's like landmine goes click yeah. only without the war. Yes. Um, okay, so the other uh, super uncomfortable viewing experience I had this week, this was yesterday, a documentary called Tickled. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think of this? You know what? I nearly watched this the other day. I was about to watch this, and I haven't I haven't seen it yet. Oh my god! Well, okay. For those of you who don't know, this journalist set out to make a documentary about competitive tickling yeah. that he had heard about. And he ends up making a completely different documentary when he sort of begins to uncover this one man who is sort of behind. Almost all of the tickling fetish online. (laughs) And they get together and do photo shoots, tickling shoots, and they make videos. And he he slowly uncovers all this stuff about this guy who ultimately was pretending to be a woman two different times online to get guys to send her tickling videos. 
And this guy has all this money because his dad started a law firm. So he's got this trust and millions of dollars, and he's just throwing it all at tickling competitions and huh. videos. Um, where it got super uncomfortable for me was pretty much any time anyone's on screen tickling somebody. Oh, yeah. But there's one scene in particular. He finds this guy in Florida who's, who has a tickling fetish, and he's totally open about it and willing to talk about it. So he goes down and interviews this guy, and this guy's got like a, I don't know, some kind of gynecologist-type chair where he <laughs> straps people's hands and feet in and tickles them and films it. And they put a guy in this chair who, I don't think he's part of the documentary crew, but very clear he's never done this before. <laughs> and they lock his arms in and lock his feet in, and the guy says, take a deep breath, and he takes a deep breath, and he immediately, this grown 60-year-old man starts finger tickling this other guy's armpit anyway you see him tickle this guy everywhere and the guy is laughing but he's writhing saying i hate this i hate this i hate this and that's when my wife walked in <laughs> i said and i had i must have had a face because she was like what are you watching and i was like the most disturbing thing i've ever seen and i wasn't lying it was disturbing as fuck now the documentary as it goes veers more into the investigation of this man and and less about the tickling stuff. It it gets less disturbing, um, but it also goes a little Michael Moorish, and it kind of mm. bothers me because at the end he the journalist says, and he's from New Zealand, so he's got an interesting accent. He's like, I I, thought, I figured someone needed to confront this man. That's not that's a terrible New Zealand <laughs> accent. Um, somebody needs to confront this guy for all the heinous acts he's done, mm. and that's where the movie just completely lost me. So they go to this guy. They somehow know where he lives. It's some kind of condo, and they. They literally sit there for days just waiting for him to come out. They've somehow found out what kind of car he drives. And eventually he comes out and goes to Starbucks, by the way. Oh, there you Four go. and a half, five days doing nothing. And then his first errand is Starbucks. Yeah. And they wait for him outside Starbucks. And he walks out and he's like, sir, I want to ask you some questions. Blah, blah, blah. Basically just ambushing this guy who may be evil. I don't know. Right. But you've <laughs> now become the director of your story. You've now... You become a character in your story. The whatever purity was there in your documentary that you wanted to show is poisoned. I think once you start manipulating mm -hmm. things the way that he does, Whew, I don't know. I don't know how I managed to watch the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, doesn't really sound like don't. a Jeremy movie at all. <laughs> it's not, and it disturbed the shit out. So here, here you can understand uh -huh. why I don't think I'm recommending either of these movies. But I also watched all of them, both of them. Yeah. I'm not really warning you against them. Mm -hmm. It's more of a, this is an experience I had, and maybe you'll be curious to have the same experience. Yeah. I am curious. I do want to talk to somebody. If you're listeners, if you saw Birth of a Nation, leave some comments at SoundCloud or Facebook so I can find out if I'm alone and thinking the they lingered too much on the violence. Stuff. I want to see both of those. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, you don't don't expect to come out with cheery smiles right. either time. <laughs> um, uh, one recommend uh, you'll hear it in the movie ad is uh, uh, the Red Circle. That'll be that's one that I definitely recommend. The other one that I briefly mentioned in the movie ad, Army of Shadows. Is that's also, the Melville, right? Yeah, Jean Pierre yeah. Melville. Uh, another really good one. Uh, this one's about the French Resistance, and I don't think outside of Top Secret, <laughs> 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 I had never really seen very much resistance. That's right. I had never really seen anything from the French Resistance in World War II. Uh, 
captured this way before. We've seen so many, I've seen so many of the like Americans went in there and kicked their ass and I've uh, seen, you know, so many Hitler movies mm-hmm. and I've seen all these different phases of the war. Uh, the one, the one that I haven't seen very many movies about is the French resistance. And this one uh, does really, it's really, it's really like interesting to watch, you know, characters who have to kind of like, they have to calculate every one of their moves that they do and everything. And even to the point of like, when people get uh, thrown in prison, how do they get that person out of prison and stuff like that? It's just, it's a really fun movie. Well, you know, it's fun. It's a mm-hmm. good movie, not fun. Movie. Uh, but, uh, but uh, another one, uh, and, and now I'm going to have to see more Jean-Pierre Melville yeah. movies because uh, all three of the ones that I've seen uh, have been great. Um, so recommend that one. Hmm. I also, did not know we were going to talk about Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> so much in this episode, but I am I'm fully strongly recommending it. Uh, I know that you guys are either on the fence or maybe maybe on the side yeah. of eh. uh, on the fence. Uh, but uh, now that I've seen it twice, the theater experience was very good. The second viewing of it, uh, especially a nice amount of time since I had seen it. The second time I liked it even more. Hmm. Uh, so it's just one of those movies where the uh, hopefully Roger Deakins wins for cinematography. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it's gorgeous. I don't know how in the world this guy ke- keeps losing. I eventually, I was writing sins for this movie, and I I had so many moments where I wanted to take a sin off for how yeah. gorgeous the shot was. I eventually just abandoned the concept altogether. because I, I, waited, would, I waited until the, the Las Vegas shot. Yeah, the Las Vegas <laughs> shots are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah if, uh, if this guy doesn't win the Oscar this year, then he's never winning it because the just that is perfect. That's a perfect movie to get uh, him as Oscar. It's gorgeous. I love that little drone thing. It's almost like a little like pet friend that he's yeah, got. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Guard the car. Guard the car. Yeah. Um, so uh, those are the the two recommends. Are we going to go ahead and do the warning? You kind of did two warns. Yeah, go ahead. Do and you do have it. a warning? No, I'm done talking about recommends and warns. So okay. go ahead and do your warning. Uh, my warning actually is uh, going to be a movie that was suggested to me by somebody on Facebook uh, back when we had Modern Horrors on. This was um, obviously in October uh we were going through all these you know these real like you know diy type of horror movies and everything and there there's just so many out there people are just making them and and they have all these interesting ideas um i don't think he was recommending it to me exactly i think he was just saying have you ever seen this movie and it's called found mm. um this uh is uh a really fucked up movie <laughs> um so it, it has a great premise. Uh, a kid believes that his older brother is a serial killer. And it's just, it shows that he goes and like it snoops in everybody's room when everybody's gone and everything. And um, so when he goes and snoops in his brother's room, he finds this like bowling bag and the bowling bag has a head in it. And he's, he's, you know, basically saying, basically my brother is going around killing usually black women Hmm. and uh and so like he opens up the bag and he sees the head and you know and and everything um the kid is like i don't know 12 13 years old or whatever uh really loves horror movies and likes all the fucked up horror movies of course he's also a, a bullied kid um but uh so like this whole thing is sort of setting up to be like what is he gonna do what is it is his brother gonna find out that he knows and mm. all this and uh, I, it would have been fun 
it would have been fun if the movie went uh, several different directions other than where it went. Hmm. Uh, but there is an interesting thing to be said about Found, and that is, first off, this, this movie's terrible. I mean, you can... <laughs> You can you can go ahead and watch it based on that <laughs> warnmendation, but uh, this movie's terrible. Uh, you're not going to get much out of it. But what's interesting about it? There's a point in there where the kid watches a movie called Headless, and because he's into these horror movies, mm-hmm. and he watches this movie and it has no plot. It's basically just a guy, you know, tying up women and like torturing them and and whatever. An Eli Roth film. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's interesting because isn't it's funny how movies somehow find a way to make it seem like they're not the ones that are fucked up hmm. by putting another movie in there that yeah. the other characters are watching. That's more and fucked that's up. more fucked up. And that's what this headless movie is in found. Hmm. It's it's way more fucked up than anything that you have seen to this point. And it's I mean it's just I mean it's just graphically gross. Now, the ending of this movie is really fucked up, and it actually finally gets to the part of the actual movie being fucked up. But, like, when you put a movie that you also had to shoot into your movie, <laughs> yeah. you are that fucked up as well. <laughs> yeah. And That's what's true. interesting is it's just kind of like it, it kind of uh, sort of sweeps itself under the rug by saying, this isn't another movie. It's not our movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um but yeah, I would I would warn against that. It's not like you're gonna run into the movie yeah. found. It's, it's not, not like you're gonna be like, it's huh? Everywhere. It, it's it's actually hard to find <laughs> the movie found. Uh, I had to go on iTunes to find it and mm. rent it. Um, uh, I didn't find it anywhere on like cable. I couldn't find it on Hulu. Couldn't huh. find it on Netflix anywhere. But if you do happen to run across that. <laughs> run the other way it's a piece of shit but it does have it does have that interesting thing that i think sometimes movies do occasionally by mm-hmm. putting you know it's it's kind of like it, it's kind of like like a a guy having a dream sequence about a woman and she's naked in it and then it's like when when she shows up later oh that she never did that nude scene right that right. was his dream yeah you know, right. <laughs> you know so <laughs> my recommendation so i've got two one old and one new uh the new one is on netflix Dave Letterman is back. Oh yeah, doing a show. I've been curious to check te- check this out. Uh, it's called My Next Guest, and it's shot completely different. It's nothing like his studio days or anything like that. Is it a multi camera type of uh, thing, or is yeah. it one, or is it single? Camera? No, it's multi camera, and it, it not only shows his performance, you know, with a with an audience. I think it's like in Brooklyn, or there's one in Brooklyn, one in L.A. Uh, and the first one was is with Barack Obama, and. So he does his interview. It's you know around 50 minutes to an hour. He does his interview with Obama. And then because they're talking about civil rights issues, he actually goes back with John Lewis. And as I was talking about in the Selma thing, he walks over the bridge with John Lewis. Mm, that's cool. And it's fucking, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. It's super powerful. Like, wow. They're talking as they're going over and Lewis is just telling them, you know, here's what happened that first time. Here's what happened that second time can remember it vividly even though i was beaten over the head a couple of times mm-hmm. um and it's powerful it's it's dave letterman who's always been the quirky kind of like odd oddball with this humor and he's and he's still funny these mm-hmm. episodes are still funny but there's a lot more gravitas to does it does he still have the beard yes it, it, it's almost a year length <laughs> um and then the second one just they're doing one a month the second one just dropped a, a few days ago it's with george clooney much less impact 
You know, I shouldn't say that because he gets into Clooney's social activism mm. and, you know, the whole Darfur stuff and his his world view and, you know, being married to uh, what's her name again? George Clooney's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Rosemary Clooney. Alma. Alma. <laughs> that was his aunt. Yes, I know. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a mall. I'm all it's a mall Clooney. And uh, like all the stuff that she does, she like prosecutes war criminals and you stuff said like that. prosecutes, but I heard prostitutes. Mm. <laughs> it definitely doesn't do that. And there's a movie idea right there. Yeah, Taking there war go. criminals and turning them into hookers. <laughs> yeah. And being their pimp. I, I could get into that. I could get into that too. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it, it actually has a lot more like, you know, punch behind it than just, hey, I'm going to be on here talking about basketball in Italy and shit well, like and that. Well, and the know? full title of the show is My Next Guest Requires No Introduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which right off the bat, I think, sort of tells you we're going to do something a little different here. Letterman's always been praised, rightfully so, for his interviewing skills and his wit and intelligence. Um, but the, the idea of we're going to get the cream of the crop, the most faint George Clooney and Barack Obama. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably have Bill Gates on there at some point. Yeah. Um, but then the idea of him using his God given talent to zero in on things in an interview mm-hmm. and pull stuff out of his guests combined with the a plus tier level of guests that this show is going to pull in it's um, awesome very intriguing well I'm, yeah and, and because if you have we actually heard it with uh, jesse malton when she was on uh she was saying that on a podcast format people who are being interviewed aren't will open up because they're used to having these three minutes these segments on talk shows yeah. and, it, and letterman was the same way he would have to talk to george clooney about you know, Batman and Robin or something yeah. like that that came out. And with this long form format, he can actually get into more important issues. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. Check that out. There's only two episodes right now, but uh, it's going to be dropping like throughout the year. My old recommendation that I saw recently, I could not stop watching it, even though it's a long movie, was Glory. Oh, uh, I've so seen that in ages. I caught it right at the beginning, and I can't get on board with Matthew Broderick in this movie. Yeah. His, his performance is objectively bad well, his, i think he's miscast in this movie yeah, he's very miscast. And just imagine back then in 1989 he was only like three years removed from ferris yeah. Bueller. Seriously. yeah so. and he's, he's trying to put on this accent and you know how i feel about accents yep. uh it's just it, his performance is awful but denzel and morgan freeman in this movie have several moments of fantastic um playing off of each other mm-hmm. uh now denzel was nominated for best and, and won for best supporting yep, actor yep. morgan freeman was not mm-hmm. uh morgan freeman blows my socks off in this movie yeah. uh and he's in particular still not quite all the way famous yet like this is still yeah. he's one of those actors oh, yeah. who started late in his life and yeah, what's yeah. interesting too is that people the academy knew who morgan freeman was at this point because he had done street smart that's where he got his first nomination from and lean on me mm. um so it's it's kind of interesting that he didn't get a nomination i i, I do not have all the actors of 1989 <laughs> on my know. head who i would take off on that but uh well it, denzel washington danny aiello for do the right thing martin landau for crimes and misdemeanors interestingly he was driving miss daisy came out this year mm-hmm. uh so dan Aykroyd and driving miss daisy and marlon brando in a dry white season <laughs> Yeah. Interestingly, so Morgan Freeman was nominated for Driving Miss Daisy yeah. and lead actor. Right. So that's maybe probably that's, why he wasn't for yeah, that. I guess so. It makes sense. Um, anyway, if you if you watch this movie, it's a very good movie from start to finish. Uh, based on a true story of the 54th Battalion in the Civil War 
the first one of the first um, African American battalions. And there's a scene right before they go into the final battle where they know they're going to die. Hmm. They're going into a suicide mission to essentially stave off the rebels for for a little while. Uh, and there's this communal campfire around the the battlefield uh, where they're just they're clapping and they're singing and they're praying. But Morgan Freeman, who's the leader of this battalion, gets up, and I've never seen Morgan Freeman like this. He is at times jubilant, he's loud, he's ostentatious, he's praying his guts out, mm -hmm. and he's leading these men. Yeah. He's saying, if tomorrow's our waking up day, mm -hmm. you know, we're facing the enemy, we're not laying down. And it blew my mind, man. And then he gets Denzel up there, who's this troubled soul, basically. And he has this moment where he just basically says that you guys are my family, and it's muted, and it's he's single tear down his eyes and could not get two polar opposite performances in that scene it will absolutely kill you it's it's great I just, just look again. at that that scene if you don't watch the entirety of the movie yeah that's great it's but if call. you do watch the entirety of the movie it'll give that scene even more punch yeah all right do you have any warnings or you both recommend oh, i do have a warning all right i got kind of a warn a soft warn have you seen the Chris Rock special on Netflix? I haven't. I was actually wanting to see this yesterday, but uh, I haven't seen it yet. You know, man, I'm I'm psyched about this. I'm psyched about a Chris Rock special. Yeah. Every one of his specials has hit for me. It's genius. Mm -hmm. He's got a style. He'll repeat the same thing over and over again, and then he'll tell a story, and they'll come back to it. Yeah. He's a master of, of you know, his, his version of stand-up. And, man, I watched this one, and I don't know if he lost his fastball or – if he's just getting complacent, but mm. I didn't laugh once. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I, I chuckled a couple of times. Uh, he's going over the same ground. Now, some of the stuff he's saying about race, especially in these days, like that really hit home, but it was more... Um, and he's, he's got his thing where he's smiling and everything, mm. and, uh, uh, you know, it's it's always nice to see him, but it's I, I did not find it funny. Mm. Which it's is a shame. a shame, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, the you know, you had a mixed bag with... Uh, Dave Chappelle, when he came back, like there was really good ones, I and like, then there were a couple yeah. of like, yeah, yeah right. okay, yeah. Um, and then uh, I've heard nothing good about the Amy Schumer one that came on yeah, there. That wasn't good. The Louis C.K. one was apparently not that good. I mean, the Netflix ones, they must have a lot of pressure on these, yeah, to do to to really come out with something. I don't know. Um, I but, wanted to, I wanted to just crack my shit up, and I did for that at least that first uh, Chappelle one that came out you know a few about a month ago or so and that one that one was hilarious well the, yeah the one that was recent the one that came out like last year yeah there was some that was <laughs> it, it was like weirdness. okay yeah you know whatever but but the one that came out last month that was yeah that was, was a list right there uh but you yeah these two yeah um, yeah yeah, New Year's Eve. yeah the, they were both the, good one of them was like some like uh small theater yeah. and that one was really good too but the ones before that were like yeah there's some good stuff here yeah but you can tell he's like now he's in his forties and everything, and it's not as good as his his other stuff. This stuff was like vintage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was came great. Out. All right, do we have some time for some questions? Uh, let's see what we got right here. Question, question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. Since it's one of the most debated questions in terms of TV, which is better, Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad? Oh, see, this is easy. Yeah, yeah. Breaking Bad. There's oh, yeah? no contest. Really? But Game you of, love Game of Thrones, right? I love Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones does Game of Thrones is cotton candy compared to Breaking Bad. 
Those Game of Thrones characters aren't real. Yeah. Well, Walter sure? White is <laughs> yeah. real. Yeah. Game of Thrones fudges distance and time just to get you into these moments that are thrilling, like when that fucking dragon came over the mountain. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But it's a it's a it's a more fleeting awesome. Um whereas Breaking Bad is the kind of thing that just stays with you, mm. gets into your soul and and like well, I don't want to steal your thunder. Your point was very good in your email. Well, I don't know what were were you going to say something similar to that? Oh, I was just going to literally regurgitate your point from the email. Oh, uh, okay. Uh there was there's the thing about yeah, I'm uh Breaking Bad all the way. Um there's no wasted episodes in a Breaking Bad season. Right. Uh there's nothing in there. There's not one even the ones that were meant to be waste episodes end up not being wasted. Right. Like the fly episode yeah. and all that. <laughs> um the there is yeah, there's not there's not anything where you're like, God, get on with this already. Game of Thrones has many episodes yep. where you're kinda going I, I especially think Game of Thrones is kind of a slog once the religious right starts getting into the you know the whole the whole story and this what was it season the five Sparrow, or four, High the Sparrow. Sparrow yeah uh, when that starts happening and everything you just like you real you really let these guys have the power for a while <laughs> yeah that makes no sense to me yeah. i mean i know it's probably in the book somewhere but god it's <laughs> it's it's just it's kind of annoying going through that section of game of thrones um but there's a lot of episodes in except there where for the last one. Oh yeah the one where she blows it up oh that's <laughs> god that episode rules <laughs> so hard yeah. the first eight minutes of that episode is as good as any television well, that's ever. Thing. That's the thing, right? Like, there's a lot of great moments and great episodes in Game of Thrones, but there's always those ones where you're like, okay, this is just a bridge. Yeah, to nothing the next really thing. happened in this episode. Yeah, a lot more politics and talky and blah blah blah. It's interesting because both of these shows, though, specialize in making you uncomfortable, right? Like, uh, even the best parts, the most talked about parts of Game of Thrones. Or like the Red Wedding, mm -hmm. which is brutal. Yes. And, you know, some well, incest and like all these. I these. had no idea. See, that's the thing. I had no idea that was, that was one of the, those people who had no idea that was coming. Right. Either. And that was doubly shocking when yeah. I saw it. Um, But, uh, but yeah, they had, there's a lot of like famous Game of Thrones episodes because they they just go above and beyond as far as like blood and gore and right. killing off characters you thought were going to last the entire series yeah uh so so there are those but it takes a while to build to those whereas breaking bad i feel like every episode is some sort of thing that he has to and there's usually several things within an episode too like yeah. there'll be the storyline of mike doing this or you know jesse doing this and walter doing this and there's all they're all working in concert with each other uh, yeah i'll i'll I've seen marathons of both of these shows because AMC will play marathons and, and Game of Thrones will play marathons. I've seen both of these series twice, by the way, oh, yeah. all the way through. Um, but if you do a Breaking Bad marathon, you're going to find yourself glued yep. to it. Yeah, that's true. Whereas with Game of Thrones, you can take time off during that. You can sit there and look at your phone and all sorts of different things. They ran, those. I think it was most of the month of January, but amc was doing like eight to ten episodes of breaking bad yep. every saturday which i was watching <laughs> i was too and it, the way it worked out with my life and my schedule i got to see the episode right before ozymandias yeah 
but I missed Ozymandias. Oh, and yeah. when I came back, they were on the next episode, and I was pissed. Yeah. I was, I've seen Ozymandias like five times. <laughs> <laughs> but I was pissed that I didn't get to see it in context with everything oh, else I've been watching. Oh, <laughs> man. What a night. What a. God, what a wrenching episode. Yeah, it really is. It oh. really is. And in the. It's amazing because if you watch that out of context, I mean, if you watched it even having seen the series and then come back to it, you're going to feel the emotions, but not as much as if you're sequential and you're building up. To I like to think that Robert Forster's character at the end of Breaking Bad is the same guy from Jackie Brown. Hmm. Oh, yeah. He went from bail bonding to like setting people up with. <laughs> Actually, that works perfectly yeah. well. And he plays. The reason I said that is he plays very much a similar character, yeah. like no nonsense, yeah. just straightforward, mm -hmm. uh, wryly funny. <laughs> um, I love when Walter's like, oh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Mangorium's Wonder Emporium. Yeah. Two copies. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Robert Forster's like, not much of a movie guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, I'm wondering if you think the martial arts genre will make a comeback soon. Uh, the reason I ask is that we get pretty good martial arts scenes in superhero movies and Fast and the Furious films and films like John Wick and Atomic Blonde. Um, we also have the Donnie Yen and the Praetorian Guards in, in uh, the Star Wars films. So do you think the martial arts genre itself can make a comeback soon? There are plenty of stars like Scott Atkins, Donnie Yen, Tony Jaa, and many more that are ready to fill those roles. Well, this question is hard for me because... I feel like the definition of a martial arts film is a little loose here. Yeah. Because there's martial arts in the Star Wars films. There's martial arts in the Matrix. But you don't think of them as being part of the martial arts genre. Mm. You think of them as more science fiction genre that just happens to include some martial arts. Whereas martial arts movies is more like the stuff Donnie Yen was doing, like Eat Man or uh, Iron Monkey or, you know, just all the Bruce Lee stuff, mm -hmm. uh, Tony Jaws movies, Jackie Chan, the raid films, mm -hmm. those I would call martial arts films. Um, and so I have a, I have a strict definition, uh, but I do think there is, we're primed for a resurgence largely because of those two raid films uh, and the, the actors and martial artists who star in them and the director who I think is going to go on to do more cool shit. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think it started having a little resurgence with Donnie Yen and Tony Jaw. There was a gap kind of between the Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan era and the new era. Yeah, very much. Uh, so I, I think we may kind of be in a little bit of a resurgence, but it's never going to be a mainstream genre. Um, it's never going to be a genre that no. appeals to everyone. No, definitely not. I um, mean, you've got you've got the the early two thousands with starting with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which was just blew up everywhere. Uh, and but then again, you had, the martial arts didn't drive that movie. I mean, yeah, but it was a. I think. I think romanticism drove that movie I, no i think it complemented it i think that's what it made it, a it great is a, movie. i would call it a martial arts film i'm just saying if when it, when it came out i think it was like the highest grossing foreign film ever or some some subject yeah thing. it may still be it made a shit ton of money no, here absolutely. in the u.s but i think it pulled the reason that as a martial arts film pulled more than the average martial arts film has nothing to do with the martial arts it had to do no with, i agree because you've got to appeal to a broader audience yeah. to to make it a phenomenon. Well, the uh, reason it, it was was that we had never seen like floating martial arts characters going right. around, basically flying right. and stuff like that. It's going to require a movie like that to get it back in. We were just talking earlier in this episode about Annihilation and how they whitewashed it and everything like that. Um, it 
it's going to be hard to get a star like Tony Jaa to come in and do a Hollywood movie that everybody's going to gravitate to because U.S. studios are going to have a tremendous time trying to get insurance for all these guys and everything. Yep. I mean, who knows how much Tom Cruise is insured for to be doing helicopter stunts? I would like be surprised is. if he has to pay for that himself. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and there, the the ingredients for the for a martial arts movie to to make it big and the genre to come back is there. It's just going to have to be a growing acceptance of seeing Asian stars and people who really know martial arts to mm. do these movies and do their own stunts and all this other stuff. Because these movies that are being made over in Hong Kong and all that, that they're, they've got an audience, but they're not going to ever be a huge audience. Right. Mm. And, uh, and it's going to require some big movie to kind of like, get them all into one thing and like show like a whole bunch of awesome, like how rumble in the Bronx was with Jackie yeah, Chan, yeah. even though I don't think that was like a tremendously just out there, huge hit or anything. No, it was but more I remember of, seeing the trailer for it and going, Oh wow. I want to yeah. see that. Well, part yeah. of the problem is that studios and, and, and at least American directors, I don't think they know how to use these people because it, they put the raid guys in, force awakens <laughs> right and yeah. you might as well have put extras in there yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they used donnie yen a little better i think in rogue one. Oh yeah but you know in general i just don't think they know one thing i i did just think of is the batman warehouse scene and batman v superman mm-hmm. i saw a cool video back when that movie came out that broke down i guess there's like a dozen or more different martial arts styles that batman uses in that fight oh yeah and the fight is only like one to two minutes long but i i feel like i remember the video saying this is who batman has been in the comics. He knows all kinds of martial arts and he'll combine them on the fly, it, you know, for the situation. And, you know, I just thought it was a badass fight. Yeah. But when it was broken down that way, <laughs> we, I gained even more appreciation for it. It would be nice to see a uh, studio commission a f- group of filmmakers from here to come and make an American movie in some other country where they don't have the insurance problem and everything, have them do their thing and then come back with it and show this in mainstream cinemas here's mm-hmm. the trailer for it we shot this is ama- it looks amazing and go go and watch it uh they tried to do the whole like let's put white people in the martial arts movies and see if people like the big hit and all that yeah. they tried to do that with mark Wahlberg and everything that didn't really work Mm-mm. uh so i mean i think if you show something badass enough people will watch it yeah but it's going to require something like that, you know, like the 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 scene uh, Donnie Yen and Eat Man, yeah. like the whole beating all those guys' asses yeah. in that one place. <laughs> that you're going to have to show something like that. You're going to have to do something like that to get it really back. I think it's going to be niche for a while. Though. It is. It is. I mean, one way I think you might see it expand is is like the raid two because the raid one, the raid one, the first raid movie right. doesn't it doesn't have a lot of story. Mm-mm. <laughs> has a lot of kick-ass action in martial arts. The second one shows that you can do a martial arts film with a bunch of big set pieces, but still have like a story. Yeah, like a very cool. Di- story. It's a very yeah. cool story, uh, like warring mafia and sons and fathers, and um, so you know, I'm very very anxious to see what he does next because mm-hmm. I think he might be the guy who could light the match and kind of yeah jump the genre. Gareth Edwards. Bit. Gareth Evans or Gareth Edwards? It's Evans. 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 Yeah, Ed- Edwards is the one that did Godzilla. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Too many directors Gareth's. named Gareth. 
that'll do it for this week's sincast keep going to uh facebook uh the sincast presented by cinemasins uh keep going to soundcloud our cinemasins twitter yeah uh email various ways you can reach us and tell us what you thought of this episode but yeah. i'll do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com Alright everybody, uh, that'll be the uh, end of this one. Uh, keep going to... Uh, yeah, It's over. Yeah, it's over. You can go now. <laughs> Fuck you. You don't have to go home, but Fuck you, you for listening. Here. Yeah. Fuck you for listening, audience. Is that the I'm the Captain Now guy? Yes, yeah. it is. It's good to see. He's really good in that. Like in a brief role, like he seems very well, and charismatic. Before and Captain Phillips, he wasn't an actor. He was just Somali. Right, he was just... Yeah, it was just a dude, right? It's just a guy. Yeah. That's another one of those things that bothers me is when somebody is speaking a completely different language mm-hmm. and then the other person returns that language. Like, it's understandable if one or the other understands the language and they talk to each other in that. But, like, to just keep, like, yeah, you're just speaking only Somali or whatever he's speaking there, and then it's, I'll return you the favor in English. Yeah. yeah. And maybe it's because you're dealing with, like, you know, a higher echelon of of people in this one Mm. like jared leto and his stupid accent that kind of jared leto talks like ruins the movie i do not here's the thing is that i i see plenty to like in this movie (laughs) and i see plenty to be frustrated by but Mm -hmm. i don't see how people came out of it calling it a masterpiece i don't see that i don't either but I, no, I mean, I do understand how it could be. It just didn't do. I it guess for it's me. just going to be the same as the first Blade Runner. I never understood why that was considered yeah. a masterpiece by yeah. some people either. Yeah. <laughs> do you think it's it's at that um, level? It's very close. If it's not, mm-hmm. the plotting of it is way better than the original Blade Runner. Uh, there's an actual goal that you yeah. see here, whereas in you know in the other one, it's like I got to kill all these replicants or whatever, and it, there's really no explanation for their what they're doing or anything um uh but this one has a has a almost chinatown-esque type of mystery mm-hmm. to it um <laughs> well, that's what incest. i was saying i found that a lot more compelling <laughs> than i did the original story mm-hmm. i love how the shots are composed um, yeah man there's he he does have a little bit of an over-reliance on that whole water reflection thing mm-hmm. But I love it. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, God, you use this all the time, but I know why you did. It'd be distracting as shit to work there, though. <laughs> yeah. At the Wallace Corporation yeah. walking around. Seriously. Like- yeah. Um, uh, I do think it's way too long. I mean, that's always a, you know, it's a, anytime a movie's two hours and 40 minutes long, you have to wonder, is there ways to cut it? And still have your mood and your atmosphere and everything that you're trying to you're trying to conjure up and everything. I think there are scenes in there, especially when he he meets. Uh, you know, we we see Joy for the first time, and all that takes forever. And like just just long, like just like the original Blade Runner, long trips to some place. Mm, like yeah. like everybody's got to let all this sink in for a while while we fly to this place. <laughs> I'm know? telling you, if this was a two hour movie. I might love it. Yeah, I agree. I might love it because I felt like there were a dozen times in the movie where I'm like, this shot has been going on for 30 seconds. Would mm-hmm. 28 seconds really have 
like damage the, the mood. Well, yeah, like when he comes up on the toy, um, yeah. where he's walking down into to go to the the reactor or whatever it is to find the the toy in there. Mm-hmm. I understand why he took why he takes that long because Gosling gets this gets very emotional, <laughs> very emotional indeed, and like he he breaks down as soon as he finds it, and you know that you're questioning whether it's there or not or anything, but it is there. And like it's literally, it's over a minute that mm-hmm. it takes him to walk from one end of the the mm-hmm. place to the other, and it's like you can get there in thirty seconds. Well, you know? and that, I thought that that was a weird, it was a weird choice in that scene too, because the 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 soundtrack peaks yeah. before he's done <laughs> unwrapping the toy. Yeah, it peaks like two seconds before that, and then it's almost silent as he actually unwraps. And I, it has to be an intentional choice, but it was really uh, it was really weird to me. Mm-hmm. I was almost taken out of that moment. That's one of the places where I actually don't mind them taking as long as they did, but early in the movie where it's like a minute and a half of him flying through the city. Oh yeah, that's in there. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely in there. <laughs> I uh, does take a does take a while to to go through a movie like this because it's. So much going on, and at the same time, not so much going on. Right, it's like there's a lot of empty space, but there's a lot of, to process in it because mm-hmm. it's this whole like child being born of a replicant, and is it him or is it not? Is mm-hmm. it uh, you know why does he have this memory? Blah blah blah. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a million different things to think about. Um, it is better on the second viewing though when you when you have that kind of gestalt perspective and you know where the pieces generally fit and then you can kind of get into how they reveal it uh, i think Mackenzie davis is my new favorite girl yeah it's hard to argue <sighs> who is the girl that plays joy oh, oh she's anna de armas she's oh. pretty lovely too anna de armas the first time i saw her was in uh was it war dogs war dogs mm. Um, and the first time i saw her i was like holy shit is that the jonah hill movie yeah oh, jesus I was like, who the hell is that? <laughs> and I immediately started looking for her everywhere. She's in uh, that movie with Keanu Reeves that uh, Eli Roth made. Knock, uh, knock, 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 knock. Yeah, she's one of the girls that what seduces. Is it? It's called Knock, Knock. She's one of the girls that seduces uh, him. And the girl who's also, who later became Eli Roth's wife, is one of the other girls. I yeah. uh, can't the, remember her name. The girl from Green yeah, Inferno. Gr- Green Inferno, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's where they met. What is the deal with that movie, by the way? Green Inferno? Yeah. Uh, What is the deal with Eli Roth is the question you need to be asking. Man, Green Inferno is one of the... We've already talked about this movie. I don't is think it, we need to do it Is it, it torture porn? Yes. Oh, okay. It's, well, it's not, I, I, no, Have you seen either of the hostile movies? It's mm-hmm. not torture porn. It's not, it's not a setup where... It's cannibalism porn. Yeah. Oh, okay. And holy shit. Do they not? Uh, do they not pull any punches? <laughs> Get in there! Huh? I just realized yeah. the other day that Eli Roth is behind this um, Death Wish remake. Yeah, I didn't know that. That that takes away any interest I would have had to watch it. Uh, I'm sorry, I wouldn't want to watch it anyway. Bone for Mayor. Bone for Mayor. You're pulling that out with the Megan Barry scandal. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't intentional, but I like it. <laughs> I should have worn it to the. Uh, I'll tell you what. The Nashville phone. subreddit is over her. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Like every article that gets posted there about, you know, investigation this or this piece of news or all the comments are like, just resign already. This, Jesus. This is, um, this really upsets me that this whole thing has come down because the first thing that everybody has said to me when they bring up Megan Barry is, well, there goes the mass transit. And I'm like, 
really yeah. because of that yeah we can't we're never gonna get mass transit because megan barry fucked their security guard 